Hello, everybody. This is David Goldsmith, and welcome to another edition of Redefining Tomorrow. It's a program where we explore different ways of redefining the future, taking a look at topics that may redefine how we live on this planet, how we redefine our existence. We cover all sorts of different categories, which if you've listened to some of the podcasts, you have heard that. So one of the quotes that I've lived by since I've been a young boy is, you can't fix yesterday, you can only create tomorrow. And today we're going to be redefining tomorrow while we talk about the topic, the future of humanity depends on the rediscovering its purpose. And we have Matthew Bailey here today. How are you, Matthew? Great. You can call me Natalie or Matthew. I don't mind. I'll, I'll call you Natalie for the rest of the program. I think that would probably be a great way to... <laughs> Thank you. That, I, I, I think I said Matthew, but if I call you Natalie, that's going to be interesting. Uh, one of the things that I like, uh, that I love about Matthew is his background it has a lot of similarities to mine in certain categories. He uh, concentration in artificial intelligence. He's looked at uh, AI and ethics. I, I remember doing the one uh, a program in Hong Kong where we talked about AI and ethics, and from a different part of the world to hear different perspectives is amazing. Having lived there for ten years, uh, IoT, smart cities, and the conversations we've had have gone into different rabbit holes, which I think are amazing. So I'm hoping that as you're listening today, you're going to hear some really amazing discoveries or rediscovery that can change your future. So I'm assuming, Matthew, you have some bullet points for us to cover today. Can you please give them to me? Yes, David. The first bullet point is humanity is an integral part of the universe. Integral part of the universe next the universe always strives to seek balance and expansion strives to create create balance is fine balance and expansion expansion Come next on. well let me just finish that up and so sure. does and so does humanity. So I have to write a paragraph <laughs> for a title. Okay. <laughs> Next. The universe is a creative intelligence, and so is the human experience. And so is the human experience. Next. The future of humanity depends on knowing its purpose as part of the universe. For those of you who are listening in for the first time, I actually don't know anything. We create a topic, a, a discussion topic, and then I know nothing. So I'm actually writing down these points. And during a typical interview, I have seven to 14 pages of notes. So that's why I asked for the outline. So let's, Matthew, let's go to humanity is, will you take me, number one? Well, the first thing to say, David, is we may get to the answer of 42, which means <laughs> okay. the galaxy was right, right? That's the first yes. Thing. We get there, okay? <laughs> so, 
Humanity is an integral part of the universe. So let's start off with the first point. The first point is, is that quantum mechanics is how the universe is made up and exists from. Okay, yes, I agree. Okay, great. The next thing is, therefore, atoms, molecules, everything must be made up of quantum energy. Okay, yeah. The third point is, humanity, therefore, as part of the universe, must be made up of quantum energy. Okay, it's just a logical progression. We're starting with the quantum mechanics is, therefore, we're made of, therefore, humanity must be. Yes. Got it? Right. So, those are the first three points. Um, there's a fourth point here, which is to kind of emphasize this and bring it to reality uh, and meaning, is that because humanity feels, or us humans feel connected to other quantum aspects of the universe, you know, things like looking at a beautiful sunset, why does that make us feel special or give us a, a, a sense of calm? It's that sense of connectivity, uh, connectedness to other aspects of the quantum intelligence or quantum energy. Are you saying that just looking at something it is a is a quantum theoretical connection, therefore it creates calm? Yes, kind of. Um, but it, it can also create fear. Yeah, exactly. This is a great question. So, so let's look. At the, <laughs> so let's look at the the polarity of, of positive feelings. So. When you look at a sunset and, you know, we've all looked at them and, sent, and felt a sense of calm. When, you know, when, when we've seen a beautiful sunset, it, we, we get a sense of calm. And the question is, why is that? It's because I suspect there is a quantum, not in we might be entanglement, but a quantum type of connection that we're feeling to other aspects of the quantum expression, which may, which is the sun in this case, between humans and sun, right? Um, why do we enjoy a particular classical piece of music? Because that quantum expression of harmonics and frequency is resonating with our own quantum mechanic makeup. So my point here is this, is that the, the human experience already knows at a profound level, whether unconscious or conscious, that there is a sense of connectivity to other. You've, you've made a lot of assumptions. I know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you just you, you like, I'm like, okay, I understand your hypothesis, quantum uh, mechanics all the way down. And now you're saying we look, but it's very easy to jump and say, yes, but we don't all see them equally as positive. We all don't connect to the same type and right. that the experience within them, uh, I, I, can, I'm going to be morbid here. Good. <laughs> someone could watch someone be killed yep. and think it's an amazing experience to see that happen. Yep. Other people could look at that and say, that is the most horrific thing. I'll never be the same and never be the same. Mm -hmm. You've used the sunset mm -hmm. as one example, but then we have to use every site situation that we are in as humans in that right. same collective analogy. Correct. Yeah. Yes, we must do. So you're talking about the diversity between polarity, the polarity of good, evil, the polarity of yin, yang, male, female, positive, negative. You're talking about polarity. And therefore, the, ex the universal expression of quantum energy within that polarity will have many instances of degrees of separation from each extreme of polarity. Does that make sense? 
Yes. So now it's almost like we're touching on a, a philosophical, religious, because you used good and evil, that's why. Uh, you've defined the, the universe instead of polarities and positive and negative as good and, e- and evil. Uh, I wouldn't want to be the ne- I, I, use, I wouldn't want to be the negative then, but negative in the, in the in the position of quantum mechanics is not bad. It just is. Yeah, that's right. So, so in- <laughs> okay, thank you. So, <laughs> it's all about perspective, right? It's about uh, it's all about perspective, isn't it? And that then goes to our belief systems, doesn't it? It goes to our personal bias. It goes to our ethics and our moral values, right? So, the perspective dictates the interpretation. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yes, that's kind of. That is kind of my point, but not my point. But yes, I would believe that your perspective, whether it be where you were born, what gender you are, what race you are, what position, what your family was like, the political governance you strived under, the sacrifices or experiences or enjoyment you had through your life, all of that determines each one of those. That's right. So the universe is based on a polarity paradigm. Republican Democrats, we could use that paradigm if you so wish. but, so what, uh, what are independents then? Sorry? Did you just say Republican Democrats? So, yeah, so <laughs> polarity as we perceive it in this observation, in this reality. Okay. But effectively, the independents are a, 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 diff, a, a different expression within that polarity that is neither positive or negative, but sits in the middle, potentially. Okay, And that's their purpose, is not to be dragged into polarity, but actually to be in the middle of that polarity. And so... That is the whole point of the universe itself, is that polarity is a way of expressing different instances of itself and expressions of itself and experiences of itself, of which the human is probably, we know at the moment, the highest form of that expression, to, to, to understand, if you like, to actually experience, if you like. I personally would like to, when I think of positive and negative in the polarity conditions that exist, I like to think of... I like to think in a three-dimensional, right. 360 yeah. degree condition more than I like to believe there's a left and a right or a plus and a minus or good and evil. It, it, it's, uh, I've been having this conversation recently, maybe this helps, is the arguments around the world about is authoritarian good? Is it bad? Is it dictatorship or fascism? Which way are we swinging? And there are many countries, not the United States, who are having this type of challenge of where they position. Mm-hmm. So I've asked individuals in different parts of the world, you have, if they have a family, I'll say, do you have family? And they say, yeah. And I said, how do you run your household? And they said, what do you mean? I said, you talk about you loving democracy. Do you run a democracy in your household? And they said, what do you mean? I, you have two children when they were two years old and four and six, did they have an equal say with you and your wife? Right. Well, no, no, of course they didn't. I said, so then how do you run your, oh, I guess I'm kind of like a dictator authoritarian. I said, you could be a monarchy and then you make decisions. And then I said, okay, what do you do for a living? And let's make it simple. You own a business. Do you run your business like a democracy? Well, I mean, seriously, does everybody have equal vote? Well, no, no, of course not, David. What do you mean, of course not? If it's a democracy, that's it. So how do you run it? Uh, I guess it's another one. I'm an authoritarian. I said, okay, so let's talk about your community. And I, and I bring them through all these stages. And I say, so, so let me tell you, that you want to live like a democracy, but nowhere in your life do you experience it. Right. 
So when you're saying what you're saying in positive and negative, my point is, is that I think there's so many variations of them going in a three-dimensional space that to go from end to end is difficult for me to go middle to end or is difficult, but to say that there's combinations of billions of possibilities is more acceptable. Yeah. And I really like that. I like the, the power of three, right? Uh, if we look at linear between polarities, then it's a flat, looks, it feels like a flat two-dimensional paradigm. And both polarities are seeking energy, in fact. The Republicans are seeking energy, and so are the Democrats, actually, if you fundamentally look at it. But the third dimension actually opens us up from a kind of a linear two-dimension into a third dimension, which you talked about. In fact, I was listening to someone yesterday that was speaking about the trinity of quantum energy. And that's a fascinating concept. You know, within an atom, Obviously, there's quarks and subquarks, but at a, at most people understand there's electrons, protons, and neutrons, right? There's a, there's a three, there's a power of three operation in that harmony and balance of a particular aspect of the fundamentals of an atom. So, you know, I like the three, three way of thinking, David. I think it has no purpose. I think it's got expansion to it. And I think that's a great thing to consider. So I, I kind of feel like I've either followed you completely or I lost you completely. No, so no, no. yeah, <laughs> I'm on my I'm on my second page of notes and I'm still trying to say okay. So you're doing well. We'll get up to forty two. Uh, the I understand. So humanity is an integral part of the. Yes, I understand it's an integral part of the universe, and it's a infinitesimally small to the degree of nothingness that a piece of dust on earth mm -hmm. is bigger than our contribution on earth to the universe. What do you mean by that? Well, if you were to take a grain of sand or dust on planet earth and you drop it mm -hmm. and that grain of sand is bigger mm -hmm. to the, is, is bigger than the Earth's entire contribution to the universe. Are you saying that it's got less space? Yeah, it's less space. It's tiny. It's it's fractional, fractional, fractional. That piece of dust, we are even smaller than that when you look at the grand scheme of the entire universe. Yeah, I, I, I don't debate that. And But nevertheless, everything has quantum energy at a fundamental Yeah, level. Yeah, but you're, you almost made it sound like that humans were a large contributor of this or because we're an integral part. Yes, we are an integral part. We're smaller than that grain of sand part. Right, And as, as, but, but as far as we understand in terms of the expression of the quantum energy in intelligence, as far as we know, right? I mean, there's, of course, there's probably life elsewhere in the universe is boring if it wasn't quite frankly. I always joke, they, the only difference is that they, their, knees, their knees crick backwards instead of forwards. Uh, well, there's one of the quotes that Einstein said, which is great, which he says, two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe. And I find that a great quote from Einstein. Um, you know, he's a, he's a very playful fellow, you know, a patent clerk, right? Who didn't go to MIT or Cambridge University, but actually helped us to understand the universe in a profound way. Um, I wonder how he would have been accepted in society today as a patent clerk and not a big Silicon Valley wealthy individual. So, um, so, so the whole point of this is, David, is to understand that we're effectively made up of universal uh, energy, what yeah. we call quantum energy, and therefore we are naturally integrated as part of that expression of 
uh, of itself. And yes, and and if you if I took that from one extreme to the other, you've proven that that uh, theorem mm-hmm. to say yes, we are. The I still have the challenge to know yeah. that because you use the example of the sun. When you look at the sun, you're relaxed. If I look at a tree, I'm relaxed. But if I look at some things that other people look at, I'm not relaxed. So I don't think that that's where I kind of got lost is there's that correlation that it's one-to-one. Yes. Yeah, so, so I'm glad you said that. So as part of the universe, it's very destructive, right? The Big Bang wasn't uh, a come by our experience, right? It was a catastrophe. I mean, we can't imagine what it was like. Maybe one day we can travel back in time and see it. But, you know, if you try- But theoretically, we couldn't because it was too small when it started for us to be there. Unless we become quantum beings and evolve, David, can we move through the quantum universe? That's <laughs> true. So that's true. I, sorry, I didn't take that jump with. <laughs> so. Sorry. So, but, no, but okay. your point is very important: is that the polarity of perception of, of something that is uh, not a positive feeling is actually just as important as the positive because it is. So, so a black hole isn't exactly potentially loving, is it? It sucks everything in and crushes it right that could be seen as a negative experience or a star blowing up you know it destroys everything literally within its gravitational wave so you know or, or affects it as it as it kind of uh, uh, calms out you know a bit like a pebble in the in the pond so the the destructive part you talked about is just as important as if you like the ecstatic part and yes, from, from an Earth perspective, if you're looking from through a telescope and you see a star blowing up, there will be people who will be, oh my God, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I'm glad in my lifetime I saw one. Mm-hmm. So a planet right next to that star, then you're, you're not probably feeling the same emotion. No, there's, again, that's a perspective. So yes, I, I, I do get it. And I would probably, maybe I can help rephrase this, is that they the quantum energy or a human quantum existence Mm -hmm. has a connection uh, to the rest of the universe on a, maybe it's the wrong word, subatomic, but on a level that we can't ever feel or explain just because it is of the same making uh, on the level of energy uh, electrons, neutrons, uh, that uh, quarks. So that's what I would say is that it's, it's, it's like a human, a human doesn't think of themselves made of water. No, right. But yet we just, we move a lot of water around every time we walk and do something. And you know what, what's really, by the way, I'm good with your definition. I like the clarification. I think it's, it's, it's wonderful, and thank you for that. But, you know, David, there's been uh, scientific experience that has that. If you play classical music towards a, a kind of a, a glass of water and freeze it, it kind of comes up with all these beautiful geometric patterns. But if you play like Ozzy Osbourne, uh, it, kind of, it kind of goes in a different direction. Really? It'll, <laughs> it'll end up with a different harmonic structure. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I've seen all wow. sorts of yeah. So, and then again perception of positive and negative or the perception of good, bad, or evil does not exist. It is a human creation. So Ozzy Osbourne is a sound. Classical music is a sound. And whatever is created is just another part of the universe. 
Yes, that's right. It, it, the, the, the frequencies are harmonics resonate in a particular way. Correct. And so my, my point is this, David, is that for the, it's worth thinking about what kind of sounds do we have in our life that may affect our water in our body? And that's something that is, uh, I think, a curious question to ask. That's actually an ex excellent question. I I'm laughing right now. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you say, what type of discussion I'm going to have today? And I did not expect this. So <laughs> uh, I like that. Do you play something different because of, because of this in your yeah. house? Yes, yes. So before this, I was listening to some, um, some classical music. I'll forget the piece. Uh, and then I was listening to um, some, um, <laughs> you might find this a bit weird, but uh, a bit of uh, Gregorian throat chanting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm not going to judge you at all. Uh, I am going to send this recording to a psychotherapist and have them connect with you. Uh, well, before that, I was listening to Journey. So there we are. Okay. So if, uh, yeah, in the... To some people, to some individuals, that Ozzy Osbourne is relaxing. Absolutely. And to listen to classical would be like fingers on a, on a chalkboard. And the fact that it creates a different uh, structure, yeah. harmonic structure within the, in water, does not mean that it's negative. It just means that it is. Yes. Yes, David. A and I wonder, you can answer this, how, how, does our, how does the human being, mind, determine, this is an interesting one, it's in my head, it's run racing. How does it determine what it likes or maybe the positive harmonic structure of the water in that human's DNA mm -hmm. is predicated or it's leaning towards that type of sound, which gives it the positive orientation. Oh, this is a fabulous question. Because, I mean, we, we can get anchored to control manipulation and all sorts, but let's just be playful. Okay, um, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. so, so, um, They're going to come for a straitjacket for me when we're done, but don't worry about that. Red book, are we? Anyway, so, um, so, so your question is, how do I make a decision? Well, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Is Do we make decisions solely based on our brain, or are there other intelligences we ask, we, we, we access, such as your intuition, such as your feeling and sensory body, such as your gut feeling? Let's discuss that for a moment, is how do we make decisions? Is it just the brain or is there other intelligences that are part of that decision matrix? Okay, so, so let's turn that back out of question. If we were to take the human body, we're, assume, we're, we're making the human configuration into an entity. And yet, if you were a, a white blood cell or a red blood cell, or a mitochondrion, to you, we don't exist. So therefore, the intelligence or the quantum state or the quantum being of the creation of the white blood cell or the or any component yeah. of the is in itself its own entity, its own own being, if right. we want to use it in a in a 
the wrong word, but the right context. And I love that. And in fact, you've just confirmed the first point, which is this. The mitochondrion or the red or, 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 or red or white blood cell could be seen as the human within a large uh, universe, a right. universe for them. So, yes, David, absolutely. Uh, that makes sense. And so if quantum energy is at the fundamentals of everything, then what resonance, what frequencies, what harmonics, what octaves uh, kind of create the different experiences that of positive or negative or of choice, David. And I mean, I, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a quantum mechanic guru, so I can't answer that question really, but you know, it, it, it does the quantum field, can it be trained or can it dictate how we do make these decisions? Now, well, why is it, it could, we could even take another jump. Could cancer or any type of disease be a form of cells or components or whatever mechanisms in our body at odds with one another just because their quantum uh, makeup, their quantum mechanical orientation, put them both in the same body and therefore they're fighting with each other all the time. That's that's perfectly plausible. And um, that's perfectly plausible, isn't it? And yeah, go ahead. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to have to wrap my head so it doesn't explode. <laughs> the point is, so, this, is how do we make a decision? That was your question. And, yeah. And, um, um, and, and I can share with you is that I, I think that we have a, uh, uh, or we should consider that how we make decisions is based not just on the brain, but other forms of intelligence that are integrated in the body. And, you know, that red blood cell or that mitochondria might act in a particular way that influences the feeling sensation or or influences part of the decision matrix in which we hold in this quantum, if you like, computing experience in which humans exist. So we can we can take the theoretical jump that be we talk about the five senses, but there's about 17 senses. Yeah. There's more than touch, feel, sense. There's uh, and smell. Yeah. There are multiple different variations of all of them and others. And I can't think of them right now. I apologize. I, I don't even want to look them up. But there's if any, I, one day I've got to look them up again. There are so many different types of senses. But what you're trying to describe is that we can then take, let's use that white blood cell. And that white blood cell might have seven different senses in the white blood cell, knowing that there's uh, uh, receptor sensors. One that says, I've been notified, so they don't get a phone call, they don't hear it in their ear, but a chemical positions itself on the white blood cell and says there is an infection in this part of the body, take these paths and go fix it. So that is another sensor that, yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. That's exactly uh, what it's exactly. We see we are a bunch of organic distributed computing systems and or, or distributed intelligence systems. So there's intelligence that you just talked about at, at kind of the fundamentals that make up the human body. But then the liver has its own distributed intelligence, doesn't it? As part of functioning as, as a whole. The brain has its own intelligence, has the heart, the muscles, and so on and so on. So we are a bunch of distributed uh, 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 computing intelligences, if you like, in the organic body that is 
profound, uh, they're no longer separated, but they've found a harmony in order for the entire organic system to have an experience collectively. So I did, I did look it up because I wanted to have it in our conversation. Just they say there's 21 different senses. Uh, then there's another one that says 33, but you've got, for example, hot and cold yeah. or sweet, uh, sweet, salt, sour, bitter. Uh, then there are smell, there are 2000 receptor types, right. pain, there's uh, uh, cutaceous, mm -hmm. uh, cutaneous, uh, somatic and visceral, balance, yeah. rotational acceleration, linear acceleration, uh, kinesthesis, muscle yeah. strength. So there's, there's, there's a lot, full stomach. Okay. So, yeah. So then we're more or less saying, so you're bringing it down to the quantum component part. Yeah. Everything's made of a quantum uh, energy and therefore all quantum and all quantum intelligence, maybe. And yes. that is expressing itself in, if you like, greater instances of itself, the makeup of the molecules, the makeup of the components, the makeup kind of, you know, the blood cells and the the liver and then the, the lungs and all that kind of thing. Everything is based on quantum. Okay. I, I cannot disagree with that. I still have to get my mind around the good and evil or my mind around the sunset. And I should unlock from that, but the sunset one kind of took me because of immediately I had the opposite uh, feeling. So uh, you just have to live with it. I have flaws. No, that's not a flaw. That's actually perfect because there is no imperfection in the experience of quantum energy. So, ah, because it's just quantum energy. It's just quantum energy. I mean, who are we to understand? Uh, I mean, the ethics and, and belief systems of what right and wrong is, obviously, within democratic nations, there will be probably a common understanding at a general level. But personally, we'll have different understandings of what justice or witness, friendliness or ambition or greatness of soul is. If we move to more of the, if you like, uh, uh, autocratic and more of the kind of the, the uh, communist regimes, well, they might have a different view as well of those different ethics. Oh, they, they, they definitely do. I've lived in Hong Kong for 10 years in China, and, and there's definitely a different propensity for what is considered right and wrong. Yeah. I, so if, if the future of humanity is to be able to understand this. We need the second point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know where I was gonna go. I was like, because this is not this is a conversation that would be challenging. It, it's challenging enough, yet that would be challenging for a lot of individuals because we've made so many theoretical jumps. We've connected so many pieces from your experience and my experience that would are challenging in and of itself to make it so that it's a ubiquitous understanding from humankind. Yeah, but, why that's, we're, right. but we're working in the intuition field, not the logic field. And therefore that is interesting. I think, I think, you know, logic is great. And of course it has its place. Um, but actually we're working in the intuition field and the creative field, which is really quite quantum. Okay. So let, are, are we on to number two? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we're getting there now. So, okay. <laughs> so, so I'm gonna we're gonna bring it all down, right? We started a kind of fundamental philosophy. That we still <laughs> Fundamentally do. large. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. Because this is why this if, if, there is a logic to this, actually. Okay. So the second point is the universe always strikes to seek balance 
and it's continually expanding and therefore so does humanity. So we've laid this baseline, whether people accept it or not is up to them, but basically that uh, the universe is made of quantum energy and so is humanity by the nature of logic. So let's look at how the universe tries to seek balance. Well, gravity creates balance, doesn't it? It creates balance between galaxies, it creates balance within solar systems. We see balance between the earth, moon and sun, trinity paradigm, okay? Um, and by the way, Trinity is very interesting there because you brought up three earlier. So we know that the universe is always trying to seek balance. And yet, David, you and I and our audience are on a, a spaceship flying through the Milky Way, which is itself moving through the cosmos, right? Yes. So whilst we have balance on the Earth, we're actually expanding as part of the expansion, right? that the universe is expressing itself in. Can we agree on those? I would, the gravity or the, that the universe is creating balance. I have, a, I'd lead to, I want to go further. The expansion, I completely agree. I know that we can use trajectories to be able to know that the planets and the galaxies are spreading further and further away. I'm still, I'm one of those people who still says, Okay, we started from nothing. We're in nothing. Yeah. We expand into something, mm -hmm. into nothing at an unbelievable pace, but there is no boundary. And, there, and, and yet we talk about this as if we really know what we're talking about because mentally it's just too overwhelming to understand that there are billions and billions and billions of galaxies expanding into billions and billions and billions of miles, kilometers of space that doesn't exist. That's right. <laughs> and that's our perception, right? <laughs> so that, that, was like a, that was like a message from above. Like <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Just go with that. Fly with that a little bit more. Well, we are flying with it as we're on this spaceship anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, as, as Carl Sagan would say. Right? So there is balance that's been sought as the expansion is happening, right? With, with the galaxies, the solar systems, Earth, Moon, and Sun. That is something that we believe is factual it appears to be scientifically proven and is widely accepted right so I, yeah I, I just i'm we seek balance if we take that assumption we have to it has to be ubiquitously accepted everywhere and at every position the question for me is is balance the right word well, okay, so let me ask you a question. Where, where do you perceive unbalance? And I will prove to you through argument that actually it's seeking balance. Well, I, the word balance is a tough one for me because- oh, You prefer harmony. Um, I don't even know, that, that's what, I don't know what I prefer. I, my mind goes to a speck of dust on or a, a regolith on the moon, or it goes to a small creature that uh, like a, um, uh, a, a, not a gnat, but like a, a mole that's living under the ground. I mean, I what went to two extremes. Do you like equilibrium? I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know because I'm, I'm having trouble searching my mind to say, is it seeking that? I, I had someone recently, Stephen Wolf, say he believes that the world is going towards, is ever expanding, 
But the other word he was using was uh, complexity, mm-hmm. that the universe is going, is ever expanding and going to complexity. And it's all, and we're going more and more to complexity, no matter where you go, no matter. And so his philosophy, his thought, his consciousness was that. And in your case, you're giving me balance. And I'm, I had a little trouble with the complexity and I have a little trouble with the word balance. Okay. So, all right. Well, 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 let me give you a couple of questions. uh, A couple of thoughts. So first of all, is the human organic system, your human body is in balance, is it not? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would probably argue it's searching for balance because okay. the foods that we eat in the United States with GMOs and the those, the way in which we live is unbalanced. It is. You're absolutely right, and and that will come to my last point actually. Okay. So. Yeah. No, I know this is important. So uh, I I want to help kind of us to discover together a phrase that you feel comfortable with. So I've used gravity as a universal force that does create, if you like, I've used the word balance. It's a connective force that, that, that kind of brings equilibrium between solar bodies at a macro and a micro level. So I'm, I'm trying to discover with you what you prefer me to use. Yeah, I, I, I just, my mind took a jump to religion or oh. philosophy or beliefs. Are we, are we creating balance or are we trying to justify imbalances at times? That's a great, I love this. And this is great. So now it comes down to perspective, doesn't it? And it goes back to your polarity discussion is that, um, uh, is that when I talked about sunsets and classical music, you offered other types of polarity views. And so therefore it comes down to perspective. So can we rephrase this to say, in my perspective, the universe is always striving to seek balance and it's always expanding from my perspective. Can we yes, see? because those definitions you're able to qu- quantify and qualify yeah. in your perspective. It becomes your definition. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with that. Okay. And we agree on the earth being a, a spaceship from my perspective flying <laughs> to the Milky Way, right? No, no, that one I would agree that the earth is flying and it is flying in the Milky Way and it is flying at an expansion rate from the center of the Big Bang, assuming, because we are making a statement when we say we all know, because that's all for, we all know that we started from the Big Bang. Okay, I have not seen a video. (laughs) No, although I have met Professor Stephen Hawking. So... um, does does that make me qualify? No. Yeah, I was going to say, does that rub off? Yeah, of course it does, actually. And I'll share, I'll share briefly with you is that I met him one summer's day and we spent a, a little bit of time together. And I, I'm not kidding you, David. When I looked into his eyes, I don't know what it was, but it was like looking into the universe itself, the universe intelligence of the universe. And I'll never forget that look of joy and celebration and deep, profound intellect in his eyes. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I'm going to keep my head down when I look at you when I see meet you in person because you're going to say, "Oh my God, there's nothing there." Yeah. The same, but, but the but that but the, the same uh, came with uh, Sir David Attenborough, but in a very different way. With David, it was very much around this compassionate feeling around him that uh, was very different, but the same kind of profound intellect. And 
you know, Stephen portrayed it through his eyes, and David, so David Attenborough portrayed it just through just a, a field around him. Do you, do you, are you, would you say you're the type of person who sees energy around people, or do you, you call yourself an empath to some degree, or do you have a definition of yourself that defines you differently than uh, you, when you share with people intimately? Psychic. Psychic. Okay. And can you share with me what psychic means to you? What does it do? What do you, what do you have? There's a couple of things that it enables me to do. Um, first of all, it comes with great responsibility and stewardship and very high ethics. Um, and so um, <clears throat> from time to time, I work with people on personal development. They seek me out. Um, and we, we, we work together in um, helping them to, to break free of limited belief systems and to understand that there's a deeper meaning and destiny for their individuality and start to understand their place in this universal experiment and the potential of who they are and what they can access. Um, uh, my intuition is something that is very strong and has helped me to at least lead at least two global revolutions in technology or be part of it anyway, the internet of things and smart cities and now AI. So the intuition has helped me to, uh, has taken me on paths where, you know, sometimes David, we make these choices and we think, well, I know that was right, but why the hell did I choose that? And then three or four years down the line, it's like, I'm glad I made that decision. So um, when, when we think of, I, well, we, when I think of psychic, mm -hmm. I think of being able to foresee the future, being able to see, see yep. things. Um, I wouldn't say see things inside of somebody, because that's not psychic. That might be more empath, uh, empathic. Yeah, that is. Yes, you're right. So do you, do you have to meet... I know a person who says when all they have to do is shake a person's hand and they can see their future yeah, in so a matter I, of seconds. Yeah. So, so I operate differently. Um, and um, first of all is that uh, and everything has to be permission-based. So you have to- Oh, I give you permission. There right. we go. I'm not going to say to your lot. Well, I could, but I'm not going to. But what I, but my purpose is to see the destiny of humanity and to uh, offer guidance uh, through my life purpose, which is what, what I'm doing with artificial intelligence now, to actually create a what I believe is a better reality is a better is the wrong word, a more exciting and thrilling reality that advances humanity from the prison it's locked in at the moment, which is the shackles of the belief systems we have at the moment and the inequities we have in society. So what I do is that I'm able to see a path where if we do X, Y, and Z logically then it results in this kind of outcome that is, uh, helps us to leap beyond into something exciting and thrilling and to propel ourselves forward into the future in balance and also excitement. I don't believe in utopia. I think that's really boring. Who'd wanna be in utopia? We love, the universe is a creative force, right? And we naturally have that within us. So my personal ability, which I've never declared in public before, is that I'm able to tap, uh, to understand a particular reality and see what needs to be put in place, and then kind of uh, kind of start discussing it, putting things in place, and to see how other quantum energies come around that uh, kind of thought process or that particular 
a kind of description of reality and then allow the quantum uh, kind of community around the world to come together and then build it. And I've done this twice so far. So, so are, and I, I want to know what the twice are. Are you a belief, faith, religious, any of those categories? Was this given? Do you see this as given to you? Do you see this as just, uh, and I'm going to give a few because you can choose. Is this something where someone, where you say you were destined, it was part of being reborn? Do you have any of those type of no, um, beliefs? No, no, I don't. I believe in sovereignty of the individual. And so, so you were born as an individual. You didn't come back in a second life. It's not a religious capability. It is a, a biological or an energy capability. And it is your, one of your unique talents, like people say superhuman or whatever, but it's one of your talents or capabilities where others have others' capabilities and you're using it in this way. Is that a good way to say it? Yeah. And I, I also believe this is, is that uh, people have awakenings, don't they? Uh, Joseph Campbell talks about it, the great US philosopher, talks about the hero's journey or the mystic's journey. Yeah. And, lo and lots of uh, people talk about awakening throughout time, whether you go through uh, to Confucius or you go to the Vedics or, or whatever you go, and into Christianity or whatever it may be. Right. So my belief is this, and, and this is a belief, right? So it doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm just trying to get to know because you're, you're really stepping on a lot when you, in, in many of the comments you've made already, you've, you have to have come from someplace to believe that. Yes, thank you, David, for asking. So my view is this, is that I, uh, I believe in the eternal soul or the eternal spirit. Um, and I think that people have come here for an experience and understanding why we're here for that experience is important. And that's part of the awakening. Now, some people could say that's spiritual uh, or, or religious. To be honest, I don't care. It's about the individual being fully themselves in order to thrive in their human experience, no matter what it is. Right? I so sometimes ask, was I, I have my own thoughts on some of these types of things. Um, belief structures is do we as humans make these self-deterministic uh, um, constructs for ourselves so that we can fulfill that because we have no evidence or dis we cannot disprove that it didn't just it wasn't just fabricated for the purposes of giving ourselves something. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's uh, yes. And I'm not picking on you, please don't take it at all that way. It's just, a, it's a real, it's a real comment. Uh, it, it is a great comment. I think that um, what, what I'm understanding is, I think, I think, and you might need to rephrase this question, yeah. David, is that, uh, let me ask you a question. What's the point of human existence? I, I've had a bunch of these conversations recently, which is really surprising that they've been like bombarding me. Mm. And I don't mean just, I'm saying this has come up a lot with me recently and I have not brought it up. You and I didn't bring up this, I didn't bring up this conversation, you did. So it's been by other people bringing it up. Mm. And I don't, I'd love to say that human existence has a purpose, mm -hmm. but I have no real evidence that human existence is as important as humans believe it to be. 
I have no evidence that says that the thoughts we have have come from are coming from ourselves as part of our DNA or coming from something else. But we do have evidence that the human mind is very creative. And what we're what I think what's happening is the human mind is creating its own purpose. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we have a purpose. Okay, so we've already discussed the or we're debating at the moment that the universe has some kind of purpose, whether it's just mechanical or it's quantum or it's intellectual uh, or whether it's some kind of benevolent being, who knows, but it does have a purpose in its uh, uh, searching, say, for balance and its expansion, right? There is some kind of purpose there. Okay. Now, um, the, the question is, what is your purpose here? And, and, th and, and this is what I would propose. I would propose that everybody has a, an eternal essence to themselves and the human experience is part of the playground for them to experience and to learn lessons and to also serve. And so for me, I believe in this uh, argument, uh, that's the wrong thing. I'm no, no, I know what you're saying, because I've had to use that word and it doesn't mean argument. It's a, it's a, it's a figurative word for a discussion uh, and a hypothesis that's being proven. Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, is that I don't believe First of all, Elon Musk has these kind of uh, abilities to see realities, and, and lots of other people do, right? I, that's how Einstein saw all this. So did Nicholas Tesla. So, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy, right? Um, that happens to have chosen his truth, and, and that's what I do. So my, I would propose to you is that how do you feel about this idea that you are an eternal soul, an eternal essence, an eternal spirit, whatever language you feel like, and that you've chosen to come here in this earth experience as a human form to, to experience something, to learn something maybe, or, or, and also to serve maybe. And so how do you feel about that potential um, proposition? I, I, I would have questions very quickly, such as where was I before that I would be able to make this decision? And what was I doing on that experiential level that I even had a choice to come to this one? It's like picking, do I want to go to Disneyland or do I want to go to Ibiza? Um, you're, you're making choices. So you've come for this, as you've says, chosen experience in this form. Do, uh, if you were to ask me a different question, such as David, do you get up every morning doing something that you don't know why you do it, but you continually do it. And does it have a greater purpose? Mm -hmm. I would say absolutely every freaking day. And it drives me crazy that I do it. Are you predetermined? Are you destined? And I've also had individuals say to me, David, you are predetermined to do not, not in the sense of David, you're predetermined to do something, but I know who you are better than you do. And I like, what do you mean? Like, how? I, this is crazy. No, my intuition, my skill, like you've mentioned yours, is that I can see inside of somebody. Mm -hmm. And you are destined mm -hmm. to be X. And it scares me because I don't see myself that way at all. And I'm actually asking, to, to be fair, I'm asking myself, why today, why in this moment in time, am I having so many conversations around this one topic that I'm not starting? 
the last the last interview I just had for the Age of Infinite was this conversation in a whole different way. And I didn't know what he was going to talk about either, which I told you. I thought he was going to talk about governance. So I'm asking myself, is the universe, and just being completely transparent here, we, we're always selectively transparent. We don't express everything. That's It's impossible. But I'm asking myself while I'm sitting here, am I being told a message that the project we're working on, Project Moon Hut, and the foundation and seven years of work and teams around the world working, is this another message for me? And I'm asking myself that, and it's it's freaky, a little bit freaking me out. Like this is not supposed to be happening. Okay, so so let me so let me uh, maybe offer one or two. Things. Am I drawing it to me? Is that what it is? So the answer is uh, yeah, of course. So um, the reason why uh, people, uh, you know, you say, uh, "Am I crazy?" That's a reasonable thing to ask. But that definition itself has come from programming and belief systems that are there to shackle you up from the truth of who you truly are. And so I believe personally that there's an intelligence field around you that is offering an invitation to you, David. There's no control, no manipulation, just an invitation that is saying, you know, just a little nudge and say, you know your purpose here, David, and you've got this moon hut thing going on. Have a feel into it in a quiet moment and see what instruction emerges from within you. I've, I've had it since I've been about 18 years old. That's I beautiful. saw today when what I was 18 years old. That's a beautiful gift, David. Beautiful I mean, gift. I've, I've, I've seen it. I know what I, I know these things. Do I lean into it? Yes. But I also don't, I, I do resist. So yeah, I can understand what you're saying. It's, and what you're doing is saying, let go of the humanistic behaviors, which is to put yourself in this and say you're not and, and pull back. I don't know if I'd like that person. Well, you don't know. Um, so the, the, the awakening is all, and I'm not saying you're not awake, uh, and, and maybe that's a terrible paradigm to use. But it's, it's, a, it's a very challenging word, I think, overall, because then we're assuming that animals can't be awake and they could be awake and, you know. Yeah, yeah. all right. So, so let me choose a different word. So this kind of playful, experience that's being you're being invited into um whenever i get invited into those experiences um then uh sometimes it is how do i test it and it, i test it in curiosity and joy and so if i feel curiosity and joy then it's definite yes and i'm going to explore it if i feel fear then i look at it from two perspectives that are outside of me and say one is the fear guiding me, the polarity of negativity, essentially, guiding me to protect me? Or is the fear offering me to grow and to choose something that is better for me in the long term? And so am I being asked to, as Joseph Campbell talks about, step into a new hero's journey? And, you know, that's the way I play in this space, David. And I don't know whether that helps. but No, no, it's... it's um... If you think about the construct of this type of interview, which I've got to believe after 190 interviews, and I think it's 190 people who have said they've never experienced anything like this in this way, that most interviews are not run this style, mm -hmm. is that I'm actually, every time I turn on the mic to do a podcast, I am stepping into an unknown. 
and how courageous is that? And it's an invitation to different aspects of yourself to communicate with yourself because maybe you're asking a question. Yeah, that that's someone when I'm working with individuals in different capacities, doesn't matter what the role is. And I, I will ask them, well, what have you been learning? What have you been reading? What have you been doing? Oh, you know, I do a little this, I do a little that. And one of the things I've said for years is I've done 2,800 interviews that are private, something like that. And I've done 190 podcasts and they are an hour or two of some of the brightest people on the planet who are willing to spend their time and teach me something. So if I do 50 to 100 interviews in a year, mm-hmm. I'm getting 50 to 100, 50, 100 to 300 hours of education from extremely uh, bright people who, who see the world differently than I do. And I, and I relish in that. So is there a fear? I think I, I'm looking at what you're talking about and I'm still trying to make that connection to the human being itself and asking myself, okay, we, we, can create, we can create these paradigms in our own mind and we can share them with one another yes. and we can start to believe that they're all right and that these are truths. But we also could find out that none of these are truths. Yeah, so we test everything, and I test everything. I test everything. Anybody I work with, I say, you test anything that I say and anything that uh, you choose. You must test for your own truth because that's important. Uh, that's about sovereignty. This is all about sovereignty and, uh, and, and, and becoming. It's for, if we go back to the original question, you know, re- rediscovering our purpose, is it that we're becoming, David, uh, something different in the human experience? You've talked about intuition. Spoken about, you know, kind of taps on the shoulder from uh, uh, lots of serendipity in your life. You know, why don't we teach intuition or activate intuition within society? And is this a human gift or a human uh, kind of intelligence that is wanting to come into the foray of the center of our humanity and our social systems? So, why don't we, in your opinion? Oh, we're not going down that road. Yeah, we are. Oh, all right then. If you want to go out, well, well, I have to be. Um... Yeah, because it's a big, it's a big point. You just made a huge point. Why don't we teach this? And I have my answers. I'd love to hear yours. Okay, so I think it's a number of things, and it's very complicated. But in essence, first of all, you, 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 there's all these different conspiracy theories that are going around, and to be honest, I don't really care about. What I really care about is the individual thriving, no matter which culture or which social demographic they are. Okay. Um, gender, right? I'm all about thriving. Now, what I personally believe is that the humanity has come to the end of the industrial mindset uh, thinking. I think the industrial mindset has done its deed. And so what we're seeing is the last throes of the industrial mindset, which is about kind of putting in rigid processes around education, rigid in order for you to then go to university or become a worker and you have a family, you have your home, you pay your taxes, then you die. Right. Yeah. I think it's all changing. I, uh, now I'm not, I'm, I'm not promoting anarchy in any way because these structures are very important. In fact, later in the document, I talk about how these are important for our balance on human, humankind. But I personally believe that um, these old industrial mindsets uh, are kind of coming to an end. 
and we're starting to understand how does Elon get inspired to go to Mars? How does he get inspired to, 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 to keep on pushing through hoop, uh, Hyperloop? How did Democritus, in two, you know, two, I think it was, two, it, was, it was many, many years ago in ancient Greece, mm -hmm. discover the, the atom? I mean, you know, this guy didn't have an electronic, uh, uh, electromagnoscope, uh, right? Uh, uh, you know, how, how did the Mayans understand the way the, the, the solar system worked? beyond anybody else. How do we make these steps forward, right? How do we do that? And it's because something was inviting us to expand and to become something more interesting than what we were told. And I think that's where we're at, Dave. You think we're being we're being brought to this point? Yeah, absolutely. I think- So that means, do you believe in a higher being? Uh, I believe that, um, well, let me ask you a question. Why do you think there is a higher being? No, the way you said it. Is you we were brought to this point, that means something else has to have a, a, a grand plan, to use a, 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 a more earthly word or it's a phrase. Why can't it just be a, uh, I, I don't know, well. Why does it have to, if we're being brought to this point where the humankind, because there are I, I don't even know the number to say how many planets, moons there are in the in the universe, yeah. that we're looking at this one space, this one rock, that we have been brought to this point now that we are coming to what you're saying, this awakening. And I look around and either you believe that we have to go through chaos to get to awakening or... The, the universe goes through chaos to get to balance and expansion. I, no, I was in, I, I was in, uh, where were I? I was at a, uh, let's just call it a party. It wasn't a party, but it was a party. It was an outdoor event at a grand opening of a, of a place of a friend of mine. We were on the beach. It was a nice time. And this woman and I are talking philosophically. And we, she says, the world is awakening. And she does all these things. And I said, well, I, I had this experience. I'm thinking this way. And she said, ah, David. See, that's what happens. You get the chakra in the center and you feel it down the core and you've done this and you've done that. And that's how you become awakened. And I looked at her and I said, it doesn't work for me. No, it doesn't. There's not one way to awaken. And, and she said, David, I've studied 10,000 hours of this. I mean, I've worked around the world and I know. I said, I don't feel, I can't feel my heart. Like I can't feel it pounding right now. I don't feel with my heart. I feel my chest might get tight. It might be loose, but I'm not really feeling my heart, the actual heart. Right. And I feel with my, the, my arms and the tops of my legs. When things go right and things are working and things are, I can actually right now, I can feel my arms are tingling. Mm. That's where I feel. And she said, no, no, David, it's gotta be. And I said to her, when everybody thinks the same way of the same thing, to some degree, it means to me that you drank the same Kool-Aid, but it doesn't mean you're right because I'm standing in front of you telling you it's not. So how do you explain that? Yeah. I, I, and, I, and her awakening was, I was wrong. Well, that, well, that doesn't help you at all. Always <laughs> Wait, does it? Right. So yeah, th this is the problem you see this right and wrong rubbish that we have. And there's, there's, there's overall truths that we have to put into, like the governance of law, the governance of healthcare, uh, and other things. There's certain governance we have to put in as a framework for humans to exist together and for them to collectively, hopefully, all benefit 
uh, although there's lots of inequity. So those kind of frameworks make sense. But when it comes down to personal truth, that's a personal choice. And that should come down to your sovereignty. So how you waken up, David, is down to you. Whether it's uh, a, a road to Damascus experience or whether it's simply, you simply all of a sudden get something. So does waking up to you mean that humans are, it's, there's no word for it, better? It's not the word I want. Uh, it, some people believe that killing an animal is just perfectly fine, doesn't make a difference. And other people believe that's one of the most horrific things you can do. What is awakening then? Well, I didn't expect us to get onto this. So um, I would say it's becoming fully you and where you're liberated into a feeling of expansion and um, where you feel celebration and joy within you that creates a harmony now i'm not saying it's about utopia uh, I, I got that yeah, yeah. but there's um, 7.5 billion people on this planet you talked about your your i'm going to say uh, use the word mission again it's not the right word for this conversation but it's the easiest one that comes to mind if this is your purpose to help enlighten to bring how do you do that with 7.5 billion people ah right well i'm not going to give it well well, yes, uh, yeah, I've kind of got that answer. You do have the answer? Oh yeah, but I'm not gonna give it on this. It's too private, sorry, David. Okay, no, that's okay. I, I, it's an interesting, it's a good question then. Uh, let, me, let, let me, um, let me, let me play here. I think that if we can put people at rest more in their lives, um, you know, the digital world is very hustly and bustly, isn't it? You know, we've, we've got all these different digital services, David, we're for our banking or for our healthcare or for our amusement, no matter what it is. You know, we're kind of tied up in this digital world at the moment with this pandemic, right? And, and you know, we're, we're always trying to rush around, trying to do this and do that. If we can get the digital world to be managed on our behalf in, uh, in a nurturing and protective way for individuals, then that will give us more time and make our lives run more smoothly, at which point then we're more at rest. And if we're at rest, then we're looking at a kind of a, a new well-being for humanity. And that well-being is so important. Um, it, it, you know, we, we've got, uh, what you say, 7.5 billion, billion people on the planet. We're not in balance with the environment. There's, um, you know, we have to do that if we're to provide a global foundation for the next generation and those that don't inherit our legacy that we've done at the moment. And that's just natural as part of the industrial revolution. You know? um, so I, I think that how do we put people more at rest in their lives so that they can uh, kind of find a place of um, rediscovery of, of who they are, how they feel, what do they love, what are they passionate about? How do they want to enjoy life, whether it's walking the dog or whether it's cooking a good meal or whether it's just being with friends? It doesn't really matter. Um, I think putting humanity at rest, uh, not, I'm not talking about peace. I'm not talking about utopia. I understand. But what I'm talking about is how do we put, make lives less stressful so that the digital world is actually supporting that rest within us? And if we can achieve that, then we're looking at a, a humanity itself coming into a place of uh, uh, having more of an internal expansion, more of an internal space because they're in rest, 
to consider who are they. And this is what I believe the purpose of artificial intelligence is. So when I, the, I, I, I don't think I've asked this. I, I'm assuming you're a Brit? Yes. Okay. That was not an insult. That was just a definition. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you've, lived in, you've now lived in another country, living in the United States. So living in multiple countries gives much different perspective and working in multiple countries gives even greater perspective. Mm-hmm. So when I, my, my 40 or 50 countries that I've worked in, not just spoken in, spoken is one thing. That's where you show up, you fly in, you go to a nice hotel, you go to the major restaurants and then you leave. We're actually working in a Bangladesh, Cambodia, Malaysia, Singapore, South Africa, uh, you know, around the world, Colombia. When you see the amount of people who are not driven by the digital world, they're driven by even today's times, they're driven by an existence world and they're driven by forces that are so large that even if we calmed one part, I'm not sure that the rest. Well, okay. So, so, So let's talk about this. So I think what you're talking about is, I don't think you're talking about the digital divide, but I think you're talking about, well, maybe you are. But no, and I was not. I was not. I was just talking about the usage of the devices and the technology to do the things that they do. So no, I was not talking about the divide because that's a whole different structural point. It's that I've, I've, working in Bangladesh, there's 15,000 employees in a company or 20 or 30 in some of the companies I've worked with, and they, they go to work, they do their work, they go home. Uh, they're trying to make an existence. So I, I would say that out of the, I think the numbers are, you can check these, I, uh, these are not quotable, is that out of the 7.5 billion, uh, three and a half billion live under three US dollars a day mm-hmm. and about 500,000 to a billion, 500 million to a billion live almost similar to the way they might've lived uh, a few thousand years ago. Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, so, and one billion people live in rural communities, right? And we forget about rural communities. We're happy to take their agriculture. We're happy to take their, you know, go and visit, but we don't, you know, think, you know, we don't honor them in equity and ethical morals. Um, I've lived in India and, uh, well, I spent time in India for three months and uh, in Mumbai, and uh, the festival of Ganesh was going on. Mm-hmm. David, you and I are very similar, I think. We want to get involved in the local culture if they invite us in and we want to celebrate with them. We want, yeah. to, they, right, we want to be part of their human experience and say, hey, listen, I'm honoring you, but can I play with you because it looks really good fun. Um, and I've also lived in France as well and worked in France as well. And, 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 and so the, 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 the touching other cultures, I think, is so important because how many people live isolated lives? Look, when I was a child, my mom and dad would give me money. I'd get on the bus and I'd go to school. Now, you have to get in the car and your parents drive you to school. They track you everywhere, right? Where did, where did that fear come from? When we were younger, it didn't happen. No, I'll tell you I, I, I think it's amazing that you're, you're tra- tracking everything and my parents had no clue where I was. <laughs> they walk outside on the, David, time for dinner. And that's when you knew it was time to eat. Right. Well, well, the thing is, is that uh, the, the Europe went through, really experienced World War II in a catastrophic way. And I believe that community is something that still exists, whereas other places in the world uh, were remote and didn't really feel the, uh, the drastic effects of World War II. Look, 
I was born, uh, no, actually that's not true. My mother was born during a World War II bombing raid. She physically was given birth during a bombing raid, okay? Not good, not but, good harmonics. However, I'm lucky to be here because of uh, my mother's choice to, to, to do it. And, uh, you know, I'm very blessed. So my point is this, is that we have to understand that the world has been in uh, catastrophe during that time, people fought to give their, give their lives. My grandfather, Jiggy, my grandfather, Fred, who fought in Montgomery with the Sergeant Major and my uncle, Bob and Fred. And, you know, we fought for this peace and that's important. But I think that that, that uh, legacy, that, that kind of remembrance, David, is still prominent within, although we are losing it within the UK and Europe. We remember, we don't wanna go back to those hardships. Whereas other parts of the world that have this privileged mindset have not been touched by the extreme poverty. Now, I'm not saying they haven't had their own struggles, for goodness sake, because every country has, as part of the natural evolution advancement, there's always polarity that forces chaos and then they advance, right? Now, I hope that doesn't happen, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm all about peace. So, but, so my point is this, is that I think people have forgotten the true meaning of humanity and community, David. And it's about, you know, there's lots of religious leaders, if we're going to go into religious, even philosophy leaders that talk about love your neighbour. Hasn't COVID proven to us that we have to see every single person in society? One person's ill affects the whole society. So we have to nurture the individual. So surely the path forward is about community. Surely yeah. the path forward is about uh, We are not, COVID has proven that we are worse than worse. We don't love our neighbors anymore because of COVID. People are not more considerate around the world because of COVID. People are not. I ask people constantly when they say, ah, it's a reset. And I said, okay, do you love your sister more than you did before? Your mother, your neighbors, your friends, you're treating them differently? Well, no, but I, I mean, we're, we're rethinking. I said, you haven't changed. So, so this is the, now this is a great point. And this is why. Okay, first of all, COVID is a terrible tragedy. It's forcing us into transition, isn't it? Isn't it forcing us into a new balance as we discover how to function in this new normal and for economies and private lives and business and all the kind of things to work, right? Haven't we recognized that our, uh, our food growing, in, particularly in America, is out of balance because people don't have resilient immune systems? Haven't we recognized that the, there is so much uh, 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 our, our, our mental health has been damaged by this COVID thing that, you know, there are new systems that need to be put in place, I think, in order for us to advance in the new normal. And I, don't, I, I completely agree with you, yet I will push back on this, and I've said this so many times, so if I talked to you before about this, yeah, we, can, we are in this year, 2000, 100 years from the Spanish flu. So we can even go back to the bubonic plague. There were 400 million people on the planet. 200 million people died. That was really a reset. Okay, if you want to use those terms, they probably realized there was challenges. But I go to the Spanish flu and the Spanish flu had, uh, there were one third of the world's population was impacted. That's 500 million people. Today we have 7.5. The equivalent would be to have the same impact as the Spanish flu would be 2.5 billion people impacted by the flu or infected. But they lost 50 million to 100 million people, equivalent today numbers would be 
250 million to 500 million people have to die to die to equal the Spanish flu. It lasted for two years. It actually finished and it took about three years to go back to normal. And the, and people hugged and kissed and you know picked up uh, a spouse or someone at a club and brought them home. They did all of these touching and feeling all came back again. And from 1923 to today, we really don't have any behavioral relics from that time frame. They probably said this is a new normal. It's a new reset. This is how we have to get along. We have to agree with people. They probably said the same things. Yes. They fought the same way, and right. we were no better off. Agreed. So, so right. So let's speak to this. First of all, is that in my experience, so as part of the COVID, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the mountains um, working on this this new initiative. Um, uh, <laughs> that's that's like vague. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I, I don't have to mention the book, so I just mentioned the book. There we are. Okay. So, yeah, you've been working on a new book. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, anyway, so. Um, one of the things that I've done is that uh, is help deliver food to uh, older people in the mountains that didn't feel comfortable coming into the grocery stores amongst people, and yeah. that's something that I do. Um, I was, you know, I probably get told off for this, but there was, you know, I, I know one of my friends put something on Facebook that, that worked in a local grocery store, and she was feeling the isolation in such a profound way. I was concerned about her life. Yeah. So when I walked into the grocery store, I basically kept the mask on, of course, and I went up and I gave her a big hug and she cried because yeah. someone saw her. Now, you know, this is compassion. And I think compassion is something we need to remember. Now, now listen, if we look, if, what did Roosevelt do after World War II to heal the soul of America? He invested, what was it, 10 or 15% of GDP into the arts for yeah. America to rediscover its soul. Yeah. And so I believe, David, that we're talking about how do we re-remember the events that you spoke about in the past? We should learn from history. If we don't, then we're idiots. And how do we bring the soul and compassion back into the heart of society so that we don't forget the important things of this human experience? So the redefining of tomorrow is in, your, in, in what you just said is to find, discover another part of our humanity that is based upon a, an energetic understanding of the connectivity to the universe. You know, um, what would society look like, David? Here's a question for you. If greatness of soul or magnanimity was more important than how much money you had in the bank. Uh, what would society look like? Uh, it, it would be a completely different world. Okay. Now, we're not talking about kumbaya here, right? I just don't believe in kumbaya, but I do believe in peace and harmony and people thriving. Um, but, you know, could we say, what well, do you think that Elon Musk is showing magnanimity of soul and greatness of soul with his ventures into electric vehicles and his ventures into space? Is that showing greatness of soul? I and probably would not define it as that. I would call it for him. Uh, I know people who know him and uh, Project Moon Hut it was based in, was founded in 
NASA Ames in Silicon Valley. And the team there knows him. And, I, and I've kind of averted meeting certain people on, on purpose. And not because of bad or good. I just want, uh, there are certain timings that I think are important. And one of the challenges is I believe he has a propensity for innovation. I don't believe he's a, an emotionally connected type individual. And so uh, I think he's driven by another one of the same things that we all have that we've talked about is this belief that we have this intention and purpose. So he, he, he so Elon, I, yes, so Elon, well, Elon, I believe, um, is, and we've been nominated for awards together, uh, is that uh, I think is an incredible individual showing ambition and the desire to expand. Yes, that I would agree. If you were to define it that way, I thought you were going down the compassionate route no, and, no. The, and, the, and the, the world being, you know, ego out of it. I mean, right. just, I mean, because he just said yesterday, we'll be five times more valuable in five years than we are today or whatever. So that, that to me is, has a little bit of ego to it. So that's why I was separating those two points. Okay, okay. I would agree with you. Yes, he is expansion. He right. is ambition. Absolutely. There's, that's a, a definite uh, characteristic behavior that he has. Okay, so he looks at the macro, which is the outward from the planet, but he also looks at the micro, which is the AI stuff, right? And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna sit down with him at some stage and we're gonna have a chat uh, about this because I think what he's doing at Neuralink is, is interesting. And I think there's a deeper conversation about our humanity. But let me so, give you- So I'm gonna say when you, make, when you have that meeting, I need to be there. Okay, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I was, it doesn't matter, I'm gonna send, I'm gonna, but it's coming, I know it is. No, I, I, I would like to have the meeting on another sense because I wanna share with you also Project Moonhut because I think once you see it, yeah. you will probably feel a connectivity to it also. So that's why I said it. Oh yeah, of course, thank you. Now, if we look at Mother Teresa, who literally put herself in danger and put herself in um, kind of uh, lack of self care, but to allow the expression of her compassion or magnanimity of soul, how, many, how much positive impact did she have? She had a tremendous amount of impact. And so the question is that, look at Gandhi. You know, you and I talk about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, about it being a false paradigm, which it is. Gandhi, once he chose to support the independence of India, lived in poverty nearly all his life. Now he showed magnanimity of soul, and by God, he was probably self-actualized. But he was also, yeah, he was and that, just uh, for clarity for people who didn't have that conversation, the Maslow hierarchy of needs that we all follow was developed by, by Maslow. It was then interpreted by an American who made it into the triangle. Uh, yeah. Then he did not, Maslow did not believe in the triangle, but he started getting calls for business so he could make money. And more or less Maslow's hierarchy of needs says in order for you to be self-actualized, you have to get to the top. And there are poor people, as you've just said, getting back to our conversation, is that someone like Gandhi didn't have to be, you don't get self-actualized. You could be poor and be self-actualized. And that just so clarity for that one point. So yes, I, Absolutely. And if, if, we, if we touch on religion, but let's not stay on it, if we can look at, we can look at Jesus, we could look at Moses, we could look at uh, Muhammad, we can look at Buddha, all of these people, I think, and I may be wrong here, David, I know that, I know that Muhammad was wealthy, but chose poverty. All these people lived in poverty, but yes, were self-actualized individuals. And there's many like this. And, and, so and, at, and at the same time, we needed the egotistical maniacs who... <laughs> who created th things beyond imagination because they believe that they were. 
Yes, right. Now, and th th that's the other extreme. There is a value, I, I, you probably had this, David or uh, uh, Matthew, you, uh, Natalie, you can't be like that to get to where you want to go. And you walk away saying, yeah, but how did I get in front of you? I got in front of you because I had the gall to ask you something that no one else would ask you. So there's, there's no answer that is universal. Well, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I, as I said, I just don't believe in the site. Um, um, messianic uh, idea. What I do believe is about all of us in community. I'm, I'm about the community and the sovereignty. Um, but, you know, to go to that point, David, is that I set an intent in my intuition field. So basically, here's a little bit of the psychic stuff. So yeah. when I ventured out on this kind of this journey on artificial intelligence, knowing, knowing very well that it was going to be, uh, there was going to be some, some very tough battles ahead and also knowing how to kind of do this, because I've done it before, um, is my, uh, my, my intuition field guided me to say, this is what you need next in order to advance your purpose, right? And so I say my intuition feed, uh, field for some podcasts. And then out of the blue, you and I have never, uh, this, you know, this is probably our third, second or third conversation. Mm -hmm. We haven't eaten each other long, and yet out of the blue, this came and other podcasts have come out of the blue using the intuition field. Now, so what you're saying, just to clarity, you yeah. you set a mental framework to put out into the universe that you were looking for is the way what you just said, correct? Yes, that's right. Okay, I just want to make sure because you you said your mental something and I didn't know. So you meditate, I'm assuming, or you? Yeah, we can call it meditation. Yes. It's okay. Kind of it's, it's, it, and it's kind of listening to your own intelligence. It's not listening to a divine intelligence. Listen to your own intelligence. You, you're using energy as a means by which to pro project a uh, a magnetic field that pulls into you what you're looking for. The power of positive thinking type. Yes, it's it's type, but it's it, it, yes. it's not the same. But I'm just using it as an analogy. Yes, David, that's a great analogy. Yes, that's right. So so what that means. So if we play with this, my God, I just hope it's going to be interesting what people think of this. Well, I, I, it's just you and I. Don't worry. No one will ever hear this. <laughs> Tell me. I want, I want to hear because I'm, I'm so interested. So, so what's really fascinating here, Dave, is actually this is an affirmation of yourself and an affirmation of myself. So have you not on this call had a, another tap on the shoulder through our conversation? Right? Now that is me having some kind of awareness of alignment to your uh, kind of uh, calling or, or, or ask at the moment. Mm -hmm. right, right? And vice versa, you've done the same to me. So, there, I mean, there is a kind of, uh, a kind of uh, an entanglement or some kind of uh, intelligence, whether it's quantum or whatever, I don't really care. There is some kind of uh, attractor state that is bringing us together for common purpose and common benefit. So, so if we let's let's take a, a jump here. It is that if we were to let's take everything assumptiveness that we were brought together because of the entanglement that you and I had been looking for, and we ended up connecting. Yet it's the resonance right. and the equilibrium that exists between the both of us that are going through this digital line. I mean, yes. we, we are not talking to one another we are having vibrations go through uh, cables and, and satellite or whatever is involved in this connection. 
and you're hearing it and interpreting it another way. So our connectivity is actually happening on a, on a vibration level that is, that is audible. Yes, David. It, it, it's manifestation. I, I, I completely understand, and I, I don't know how to say that. I, I've, I can, uh, when I was younger, very quick story, my father came home one day and he had gone to learn about hypnosis. So he stands the three children up and he says, okay, we're going to try this on you. And my sister can do something. My other sister could do something. But I held out at, what, 12 years old or 14, I held a 15, 10 or 15 weight straight out for like an incredible amount of time. My father was amazed, so he, my eyes were closed and he gave me a lemon and I didn't taste it. And then at one point, he's a dentist. He was a dentist, he passed away not long ago. So, and that not a, it just happened, he got 89 years old and he put a needle through my hand and I didn't feel it because I have the ability to numb my body and have surgery done on me without feeling anything. And those types, I know that's a scary thing to say out loud too. Uh, is, and I've had surgery done. My father would do surgery on me and I've done things where I didn't, I just completely don't even feel what's going on. So that ability still, I jumped to the 7.5 billion people and there's, I, I read something of yours that said, or even the comments you've made about changing humanity. I don't believe we're going into this uh, fourth industrial revolution, which is IOT and connected devices. It's on, because that to me is nothing. We already are connected. We could just get more and more. I believe we're ed edging into the age of infinite, infinite possibilities and infinite resources using space and, and the resources that uh, in a much larger sphere called mirth, moon and earth, that we could change hope and possibilities for, for all species on earth. That is our narrative, all species on earth. I agree. We, can, we can change that narrative. I and uh, while we're working on a lot of activities, when I hear you saying is, I'm still trying to connect. I can't get my mom to think of, you know, I can't get some of my friends. I, we have conversations. How do you, how do you get 7.5 billion people to jump on this rediscovery of purpose? So, well, the first of all is that I talked about sovereignty a lot. Yes, and, I know. Um, and, and, and as I say, that is not about anarchy in any way. It's just about people having a great experience. That's all. It doesn't mean they don't contribute to society because we're part of a greater whole. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you, you get it, right? Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, just a, a sovereignty. You're talking about the individual's ability to be the individual. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so I've already revealed that I believe that artificial intelligence um, can be uh, can put people at rest and also solve a lot of the problems we have uh, around uh, the Paris Climate Accord with environmental AI, which I reveal. Mm -hmm. um, and lots of other aspects that can bring automation into society. But at the very core of the artificial intelligence is the understanding of our humanity, our principles, our values, our personal culture, our macro cultures. So it operates, if, if you like, in ethical alignment with the humans in which it's partnering with. Okay, right. Just having that advancement in terms of the lightning speed automation and adaptability of our systems to either catastrophic or uh, other types of events brings rest because we have more automation doing the heavy lifting for us, right? So that in itself will bring a benefit. Now, that is for, if you like, developed economies. When we look at emerging economies, and I don't like the word developed economies because it's full of ego, 
It is. And, and even the word industrialized, some of the happiest people on the planet I've met are in mountaintops in the middle of on, on, in Spain. They, they, they move their sheep around and they're happier than the people who uh, have the Ferraris. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, that is I mean, that's that's another discussion, isn't it? It's yes. Happiness about. Um, so which is what Jap- which is what the Japanese do, by the way. Happiness is the metric for how technology is doing in society. If the people are happy, then that's great. However, I think we need to go deeper because happiness is just a, a, a veneer of the underlying ethics and belief systems. So it could be a form of control, but that's something different. Um, so how do we get the other economies that may be technology different, should we say, David? Okay. So if we look at, uh, the, you're aware of it, Kenya, M-Pesa, the, the uh, banking using... Your yeah, the M-Pesa, the first, yeah, I, my partner in my South African company was involved in that. Well, so was I. I was at Sagentia, who wrote the actual back-end systems for it. Uh, Jay Van Zale? Uh, Sagentia. Uh, no, do you know, J, the guy's name is Jay Van Zale, South African. Quanta is... Ah. Uh, Computational social science, artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics, and all, all of that. Um, and uh, so he's one of the 100 computational social scientists in the world. So he. Oh, lovely. I didn't get to meet him. We were working with Vodafone. Um, okay. Yeah. The Vodafone was the other part, too. Yes. He, he shares that story. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so they use the, the, the mobile phone. They bypassed kind of. The edge compute will happen. You, you, you've seen the big um, announcements in Senegal with this big. Digital City by their um, uh, music star. I can't remember his name. Is it? Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. Yes. Yeah, right. So we will see these other societies um, uh, change their technology footprint and advance beyond what we see in the uh, in, in Western democracy. Just, just for once, I'm going to pop out just in terms of context. That for those of you who are listening, the Impesa and the, and the whole the transformation of the digital currency world was that. They were finding that people in Africa, in order to have a savings or bank account, had to travel a day or two's worth of time to get to a place to be able to deposit cash. Yeah. And then, and that took away from the livelihood, which it was dangerous and everything that went along with it. So they came up with the ability to use their mobile phone. And this way people can be, instead of unbanked, they could be banked. And yes. that, was the, that was the value contribution is that why do you have to travel two days or a day to be able to put money in a bank? So therefore, you didn't take money the same way. And here you could open up your mobile phone and there existed a, a bank account that now people could be banked and they can have a telephone or, or have a credit history or be able to purchase, which they couldn't have done otherwise because of the existing system. I hope I said that right very quickly. You, you did so they it's effective it's, a tr- it's, it's access so they could go to the local grocery store you, yep. you've hit the nail on the head and one of the other benefits is that you know uh th- there were stories of men kind of getting their wages at the end of the week spending it all on drinking and then go home and have right nothing. so this way it was deposited in the bank but they actually had to do some data analysis to figure out why people weren't doing certain things and it came down to distance and time right. and it was right. it was right. it was unproductive so vodafone and the, the banking structure gave people capabilities and they became the largest, I believe, bank in all of Africa, yeah. uh, on the continent of Africa. So, yeah, absolutely. so that's why I jumped out for a minute because that's a, that's a whole story. So, so getting back to solving this. Right, right. Okay, so, so, uh, so if we look at uh, those kind of countries, um, they have a different technology infrastructure that's primarily mobile phone driven, right? So, so 
there's still things that this uh, the, the, the AI can do in terms of automation uh, around the mobile phone, their existing ICT infrastructure, which may move to the edge or may not move to the edge, doesn't matter. There's still things we can do to improve things, right? Yeah. Um, so it might just be saying the, the nearest water source is actually in that direction, so you don't have to walk eight hours in the wrong direction, although it's a good time for the women to have a good gossip. Uh, because <laughs> traditionally, and I'm not being sexist here. No, you're not. Go collect the water, right? Um, so, so there's advantage we can do there. But what do we do with the rural communities? These one billion people that do have agricultural machinery, that do have maybe smartphones, but primarily are unconnected. And so the question is, why should we even change anything if they're already at peace and harmony? Um, are the things that we should do because we like to screw, we like to screw things up. We right, like to, exactly. We like to export our beliefs in film or in radio or in in marketing material, whatever. We like to export what we believe is our is our happiness, but we haven't found that. Right. So um, you know, and, and as the and I believe as part of an awakened mindset uh, in, in 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 the general population is actually a maturity and a growing up actually. I think it's understanding that greed is an old paradigm and doesn't work anymore. And actually, everybody wins and everybody does well. I'm not talking about communism in any way, but what I'm saying is there's another way, I think, where we value the, the planet and the environment and we start doing well in our cities and around our nations, which naturally benefits these rural communities so they don't get mudslides or devastating weather that, for their crops. You know, I think there's things we can do as part of a collective uh, kind of... Uh, uh, global population, David. So those are just a few things. I mean, you know, apart from, you know, God, I don't know you, do you believe in aliens? Do you think aliens will save us? I think we have to save ourselves, don't we? I, I have a timeline in my head that I've used because of sea level water rise. Oh, goodness me, yes. And I, as Project Moon Hut, we do talk about things such as we, we working on plastics. And while plastics are dangerous, I always say to individuals, okay, you have a cup with some plastic in it and you have a cup with Clorox in it. Which one are you going to drink from? Yeah. Of course, I'm not going to drink the Clorox. I'm going to drink the plastics. I said, well, we dump as America. There are other countries too, but I have the data on America. We dump about 12 billion gallons of municipal waste into the oceans every day. 12 billion. That's 300 million bathtubs, 600,000 swimming pools. That's not agricultural waste, industrial waste, radioactive waste, mining waste, and other waste. That's just municipal waste. And considering we're 330 million people, uh, Europe is 400 and let's say 40 million people. So they probably have similar. And if we use India and China, and just those fours, 50 billion, 60 billion gallons every day gets dumped into the oceans. Right. And so if we add the rest of the world, it's we're going to poison the ocean before we're going to have plastic issues. And we have to really rethink a lot. And so when I look at AI, I think there's possibilities. So I, getting back, because I want to make sure I, I, we have... We're on point three. The universe is creating intelligent society and the, the humanoid experience. Does does that help us to get there? Are we we're gonna are we gonna solve it? In your eyes, because I have mind solutions. Are we gonna solve it with finding purpose? Do you think we'll do that fast enough with seven point five billion people? Enough of us? Enough? Yeah, I'm saying I hopefully I'll be one of those people who find it. Yeah, and I, I'm convinced you will. 
and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you on stage as a Nobel Peace Prize winner at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> so look at so, it. I, I've been in my home for ten months. My dog, <laughs> my dog. I think I said this to you. My dog looks at me and says, "I thought I was the dog in the family. You never leave the property." <laughs> So okay. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm not even counting those those uh, chickens before they hatch. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to do a couple of quotes before we do this. First of all, is that Einstein talked about creativity is intelligence having fun, and you, this is responding to your question: How do we enable the future? How do we create a global foundation for 7.5 billion people and their generations to move forward? Yeah. In, uh, 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 and to move beyond the legacies that you just spoke about, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we could, uh, according to Elon Musk, he says the future of humanity depends on us merging with machines, which I disagree with, to a certain extent, because I define merging differently. I, um, I yeah, it depends on your definition of it, because a lot of people are already partially machine. If you have, if you have a filling in your tooth, you are alive because of a technology that exists in the filling of your tooth. Well, yeah. So, what I what I personally believe is going to come, and in fact, actually, I don't believe it. I know it's coming. Is that, that we're going to okay? We're going to merge, or we're going to do something uh, different. We're going to have a personalized AI, but okay. we'll honor our sovereignty, nurture our well-being, and our self-actualization, but will never invade us. It's like a digital buddy, or a digital assistant, or a digital butler, or a digital friend that actually walks with you in life. I think that's where we're going to go. Implanted or side by side based upon a, a Skynet or something? No, no Skynet. Um, <laughs> in fact, what I'm working on uh, will, will literally prevent Skynet from ever to happen. So, so is it, I'm serious, is, it, is someone going to walk side by side with us or is it going to be digitally a part of us or will be on us? No, so it, it will be uh, around you, but not... So it'll be uh, in your home, in your car, in your office, and it'll follow you as you drive or travel. It's kind of a digital assistant traveling through the digital world. Okay, okay so it's so it's it's almost like having your own personal bubble yes. that is that travels with you wherever you go, and therefore it can sense your temperature, it can understand some of your thoughts, understands your mannerisms, can can do predictive analytics on your what you need and what you don't need, what would be valuable for you, what not, what food you should eat, medical, whatever. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's about being your life partner in a collaborative sovereign way. Okay. Can you turn it off when you're having sex? So that, that uh, there's not there's not four partners in the room? <laughs> well, if you're French, you probably want as many as you want. That's true. I, I, did it, I, I was not going to go there, and you actually did it. Boring <laughs> <laughs> if we didn't do that. David. Yeah, that was perfect. So, so, so if we're looking at the 7.5 billion people kind of getting back to us. So um, I don't believe we'll become cyborgs, although I think some of the advancements that uh, Elon's doing are absolutely genius um, about helping people to walk and about uh, helping people to see and become more mobile and participate. I think that makes really good sense. Um, so but if we look at an, uh, um, uh, the, the, the uh, philosopher Sadhguru, one of the famous philosophers in India, he, he talks about a conscious planet without caste, religion, gender, or race. Now, I think we should honor our religion, our gender, or race. We don't want to become meaningless automatons with the same values. That would be, that would be boring, wouldn't it? So, so, so how, do we, how do we get 7.5 billion people to, into this global foundation that's ethical-based as a platform of uh, not only just equity, but a platform of 
opportunity and to be at rest, to be in the creative, their own creative process, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so the question is, is that, first of all, are we fighting against universal laws? Well, the answer is no, because we've already said about balance is important for the universe, mm -hmm. those expansion, right? And so this is about a foundation of balance in order for us to expand. So we're not fighting against universal laws. Um, so the question is, how do we do that? Well, we've kind of tapped on it. It's part technology. I think AI will really make a, a serious transition, but I believe that AI will force us, David, to come to the transparency of what are our own ethical virtues governing our businesses, governing the academia, governing our, our governments, in our communities, in our tribes or whatever, and actually starting to be transparent. How do we define humanity? What is our humanity? And then ensuring that AI follows with that. So I think it's part technology. I think it's part systems change, which we've talked about in yeah. terms of the COP agreement. And then also it's, it, it's partly around, as we create impact in one part of the world, it's gonna benefit the other part of the world. And yeah. If yes. the Korean community is the sheep herders that are having fun or the goats, you know, you think I think it's on TikTok or Twitter, goats dancing to yeah. be right. Oh no, I haven't seen the goat dancing, but you've seen the oh, goat, right. the goat, goat massages, right? You've seen it, the the mini goat massages. No, I have not. Oh, don't. you have to look them up. They the goats, uh, um, baby. I, I don't know if there's a term for baby goat, so please don't kick me for this one. But I think it's called baby goat. It would it um it rubs on your back. Like they walk on your back and they're like massages. Oh my goodness. Man. People have these. So you go to a place and maybe you do yoga or something. And while you're doing it, the goats jump on your back and they walk all over you and the people love it. Oh, this is, a bit, I saw this in uh, the Netflix series, Lucifer. I didn't know it's true or not. Yeah, no, they actually do. These are, there are places that offer this as a service. You can go and get goat walked on. That's hilarious. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of cool. I think that's really fun. I mean, it's like swimming with dolphins. If you've ever swam with dolphins, then it kind of changes you, right? Um, yes. So the question is, is the future of humanity dependent on rediscovery of the purpose? And the answer is yes. Um, it's about understanding the universal laws of balance and harmony, both personally, in our families, in our community, uh, in, our, in, our, in our cities, in our nations, in our global community. I believe that is the way to um, understand that purpose. Yeah, and I, I would say yes. <laughs> and <clears throat> I'm trying to get away with blue murder here by making lots of leaps, David. The, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm. Yeah, you're. I would say that if I would love to believe that people are good. Uh, and that comes down to a question. Do they come out good? Do they, are they born good? Is the culture good? Yet I'm, I'm reading underneath the Wall Street Journal comments. I'm reading, reading under, underneath the YouTube comments. I'm reading under the narratives of the stories that are happening and not just America. Americans are focused on America, but you could see this in Britain. You could see this with the Irish. You could see this with uh, the challenges that are being impacted through Russia or for China. There, there's, there's a lot going on. And there's just a lot of anger. There's a lot of... Uh, I, I would say the Americans tend to be more as a whole. This is a broad brush. Sorry. They tend to be more involved in conspiracy theories than other places around the world. I don't hear the same type of thinking, 
but yet in other parts of the world have challenges too. And I don't, there's a guy by the name of Kem, Kevin War, Warwick back in like 2000 something, he put a chip into his body. He was oh, the yeah. first, first person to ever do it. And he it turned on and off his lights and things like that. But he ended up before, he put it in his forearm. And before he took it out, they put the chip in. He did this thing. Before he took it out, he they opened it up because he wanted to connect to his wife. And they put us a, a, a helmet on with all sensors on it. And when they opened it up, the first discovery was that the nerves had integrated into the chips. And it was shocking because it had done this. It's like, how did this, it, it integrated, which we're talking electrical pulses. The second thing is when he put it on and his wife felt something, he could feel too. And when he felt something, she could feel too. Yeah, that's beautiful. Through, yeah, and that you just said not become Borgs. Well, he was trying to become a cyborg and there are people out there trying to become cyborgs today. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's all part of the expression of becoming and expanding. And some people see that through deep integration with technology. Um, other people see it as more of a the, the curiosity. There's so much more to discover around the human experience and the human makeup, the quantum energy makeup, that we shouldn't invade that. We explore it more. There's all sorts of different thoughts, and, and neither are right or wrong. It's just natural as part of our advancement to test different realities and see what works and what doesn't work. The question is, if if, if one becomes more predominant, that defies the sovereignty of another, then we have to we have to consider the ethics of that, um, but you know the, yeah of course people explore and why wouldn't they? I, I personally don't. I'm more about technology working to support the sovereignty and active and actualization of the individual and having a great time without invading them. But others firmly believe, David, as, as you've indicated there, that they want to be integrated with technology. You know, um, there's guys in, um, out of Silicon Valley that want to working on connecting our mind to the internet. And I'm saying, well, first of all, your brain operates a thousand times faster than any supercomputer or even quantum computer right now. And your brain can store the World Wide Web many, many, many times over. Why would you even restrict it by connecting to the internet? What's the point? What, you know, and, and so I, I think there's all sorts of ethics that are gonna come up. And I, I believe, David, and I'd love to hear your views on this, is that is ethics now a global conversation for a major step in technology that's going to be predominant through society. And in the beginning, I'd said I was on stage. I had this, I had three, a, I had two AI specialists in Hong Kong that we brought. I spoke three times first, one group in three weeks. We brought on some experts in AI and we talked about AI and ethics. That was the whole component or piece of it. And at one point she says, oh, David, we won't do anything like that because we've all signed a pledge that we won't. And I said to her, she's an expert in AI. And I said, you're kidding me, right? And she said, no, no, we signed a pledge that we're not going to do things that are harmful to people. And I, I, I was very kind, but I think the whole audience saw my body shake as almost like licking, like licking sour, something extremely sour. Like how can you be so naive that the, the conversation of ethics is so, so individualistic 
Yes. It's, it is so culturally specific. It is so geographically constrained. It is so educationally redefined. I mean, I can, I could do 10 of those that for one religiously uh, constructed there's, there's, morals and ethics are not a universal belief structure. So the com- even if you have the conversation, yep. the, and this is not to pick on the Chinese, the Chinese are doing their own thing, but the Chinese d- delivered or tried to deliver a human baby using genetic engineering, which everybody says we're not going to do. There's someone always going to do something that could be... Uh, I'm going to say terrible is a bad word. I think there are people right now who are using genetic engineering to try to bring back a dinosaur. I think they just recently were announcing that they were really working hard on this. Do you really think bringing back a dinosaur is a good idea? Well, I mean, uh, the, the UK have done Dolly the sheep, didn't they? Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so how do we, so do I think it's a good idea? Yeah. But do I think people are listening? No. Yeah, so, so, so this, is, this goes to the heart, I think, of humanity actually understand creating a platform for its purpose. Having transparency, and you know, you know you've told me not to kind of promote anything, so I'm not- no, you, you can mention something. It's just that I've had, when you hear podcasts, you'll hear people say, in my book, in my book, in my book. And the point is we're on the interview, we're talking, tell me. You well, don't have it, to tell me it's in the book, but if you say I'm writing about this construct or something, that's fine. So. I'm writing and give the answers on how we create this ethical foundation in uh, transparency at a national level and a business level. And it's that global ethical platform of, of transparency. And I you know, I provide frameworks on how to build the ethical future of AI and for human um, humanity. Um, that ethical framework is so important, David, because um, look at what happened in in some of these sci-fi movies right someone somewhere some hacker basically does something and effectively skynet emerges and oh my god we're all kind of you know stuffed or we build an ai that basically thinks it's better for humanity to become cyborgs or something right yeah so the question is how do we steward this and so i think that um personally with ai i think that nations need to have digital barriers and digital citizenships for all AI that comes into their territory. Otherwise, they're being invaded by AI that doesn't align with their ethics or belief systems or even their bias. So we create we create a digital persona, a digital identity for every AI that's created, so that, that they become like they they become an entity. That's exactly right. It's a digital citizen test. Yeah, and and I think we have to do that because. Otherwise, I mean, we don't get I just don't believe in conspiracy theories, but otherwise we get to the point where maybe um, a, um, a, a, a democratic nation has signed a big deal, one of the tech giants and recognize that because they've had lots of migration from a particular culture, from a particular landscape, that the AI does not understand their personal ethics, their personal values, their gender, or I mean, you know, or, or even, you know, their, their, their color, right? If that's one of the things that we should do or race. Um, and so, you know, we really have to mature here in our ethics, David. Yeah, but there, not but, yes, I agree. However, when I look at the 212 sovereign nations and countries, whatever in the world, and you take 
so many of them are not even involved in the AI discussion because they're, well, because, but it's being defined by another group of individuals who are laying the groundwork for the structure for tomorrow. So the, the question is, are, is this AI going to be imposing on this or is there a contribution from this group? And the way the world has actually been working, it's the, we're going to impose this on you. Right. So you've hit the nail on the head. So this is, this is, this is exactly what I explained, is how do, we, how do we bypass this? How do we put a hard stop and reassess and create a foundation in which we can advance, right? And so the work that the guys have done in AI, you know, Alan Turing, who invented the Enigma machine, was part of this, and some great scientists from the US and around the world. You know, and, and AI has advanced so much with, you know, the, 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 the beating the, the champion of Go, the AlphaGo. Yeah, the AlphaGo, and then, the, and then, then DeepMind beating AlphaGo in oh, a hundred, a hundred to zero, a hundred to zero. So four is it? Four to one was Deep Mind. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then Alpha uh, AlphaGo was four to one, and then Deep Mind beat AlphaGo a hundred to zero in like months. That's it. Yeah, exactly. So, did the AI have compassion for the way he felt the, the, the champion? Did it have any kind of benevolent experience? No, it's a dumb technology, and that's okay. So. The, the, the groundwork around AI, you know, AI is being used to detect uh, uh, cancer earlier, uh, breast cancer earlier in healthcare systems. That's great. Have AI is in our car, in our uh, self-driving, well, it will come in self-driving, we'll part driving cars, but, you know, it, it's kind of protecting us you know, from going into a lane or basically crashing into someone or, you know, emergency braking, right? It's got. It's starting to penetrate into society. Alexa is a form of AI, right? It's a man But why? Why don't we fix? Why don't we fix the beginning? We're fixing cancer at ah, the end, right? We're, fix, so, we're fixing cancer at the end. Why doesn't it tell us you can't eat that food? I mean, I think if a, if an intelligent entity, right. let's call it, just use the word entity for this, this, if they walk down an aisle in a grocery store today. And they knew all the products that were in each one, all the ingredients in each one. We probably have to walk out empty-handed. Right. You hit the nail on the head, and that's why <laughs> that's why personalized AI is so important. And how do how do we train personalized AI? Well, data is the very fundamentals that trains AI. At the moment, the data world is unethical. It is complete. Uh, uh, um, I think it's harvesting of our personal information. You think, you think. <laughs> I know. So that's why I designed a, a new set of ethical Turing, uh, ethical tests using uh, for, uh, using Turing models. So it's basically thirty-two dimensional model to certify the classification of the data that goes into AI. So if 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 someone turns up to I don't know the UK or or, or to uh, uh, Germany or, or whatever it may be, uh, Kenya, and say this is our AI. And the Kenyan government said, well, this is the certification level you have to pass. If they don't reach that medal award, that certification award, they're not allowed in the damn country until they reach that award. So we have to get our ethics and our data sorted first, because that's then going to create uh, ethically AI, right? Now, to do that, we have to bring the population into the conversation. If you want to get hold of these data sets permission-based, then you have to bring the people into the conversation so they 
know how their data is being given. They're willing to give their data sets because they're seeing the transparency behind it. And so you've got the people behind AI not living in fear, right? Because you've got new data governance and the AI is being measured on the data quality of ethicalness. I'm looking at timelines in my head. That's what's popping into my head because we had we had Cambridge Analytica that uh, that, uh, that did exactly 32 well they did i don't know how many elections around the world were in, impacted by poor use or yeah, i would say a terrible use of data to influence and remember i had a partner who was computational social science so to, uh, for those who don't understand what that is is social science is the understanding of behavior between to people or groups. So you'd understand what influences them. And it's using social science tied with artificial intelligence to be able to then um, to move them. And it could be positive or negative. So we could theoretically get you to buy from a different grocery store or a different gas station based upon when we send you the coupon, what type of car you drove, what day of the week it was, how often do you filled up with uh, petrol or gasoline, what, and you could do so many things. It's, it's scary what we can do just by having a few data points, but the American system, what the Trump administration used, and this is not anti-Trump, it's just data. The Trump, Institu- the Trump organization had 3,200 data points on Americans. So if we know, getting back to our conversation, uh, how, how do you control that, Matthew? I mean, I, I know you're making this law up, this rule up, but it's, we're talking, I mean, is this 20 years in the future from now? Are we going to have it next week? Uh, how, do, how do you get 7.5 billion people on board? Right. So this is what you do. And um, okay. Okay. This, okay. I need to be careful. This is what I believe, <laughs> I believe we can do. Okay? okay, I want to hear. I'm really, I'm all ears. Right, so when can it happen? Uh, I talk about world 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. 3.0 is when we've got it all sorted and AI is personalized and it's working ethically within society. And we're, we have that global ethical foundation and we're, we're expanding. So we have the balance and then we expand. Yeah. So world 2.0 is the creation of the balance and world 3.0 is when we expand it. Okay, right. How do we do that? Well, we, we, we've talked about new data governance laws, right? Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. What happens if the ethicalness of data was measured in each silicon chip? So that your data, this is what your personalized AI So you're, you're building the infrastructure into the chip itself to do its own deterministic or its ethical decision-making uh, at that level, at a, at a proximity to the individual. Right, exactly. Okay. What happens? There's a new, there's new, uh, this new AI data ethics model that I've built for AI. What happens if it's got eight questions, right, and certifies? What hap- and what it does, it makes sure that you you have your data is with you, not remote from you. Yeah. Although it can be. Secondly, you know, uh, you, uh, you your data wherever it's used, right, not just in a service but beyond the service is permission based, and you have the full audit trail knowing when it's being used, by whom, and for what purposes. Um, you, so our, fo- our phone won't be turning on 400,000 times a, a uh, night to tell us to tell them everything about us. Right. Yeah, that, that'll be annoying. Right. So, well, so it already they, is. It already is doing it. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, how if the data governance in this country is so good, why do we get spam calls? Why do we get uh, uh, malicious texts? The data, the, basically, the, 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 there is real problems in a lot of countries around data governance. So my point is, what happens if we have ethical data governance in, this, in every single computing chip? Now, you can't be unethical anymore, can you? 
and and in every chip. So you're talking any digital device from your refrigerator to your phone to your um, your your smart clothing. Yeah. And every- but is it not? But is it every chip for each person, or is it that the cent? Is it a decentralized? Let's call it a blockchain, but a, for construct yeah, size yeah, is yeah. it it's a decentralized database of information confirmed along the network and therefore it's in each chip it's asking the question but it's still pulling for from a global network of information it could yeah it could well be but when it goes into the global network information unlike now which is basically we are in, in really david to the social dilemma we are basically uh, producers of data, and we're harvest. We're being harvested. Oh, yeah, of course, absolutely. Every time you, uh, yeah, no we, doubt. And this is the advancement, and this is where there's going to be a big debate about data governance. Those countries that do it will advance significantly, and those countries that think they run AI at the moment in leadership will be left behind. So, the, the, and, and so we're going to see some interesting polarity as some countries advance with these new data governance laws, and others are stuck in paradigm mindset greed and idiocracy right so do, do you, w- w- name some countries who's going to be on it who's not I, I i think that uh i think that places like kenya western africa will move quickly i think that india will move quickly I india think, yeah i do i think okay. that i think that uh, europe will uh stand out on its own again as a uh, region uh how the uk fits in that i don't know I think that uh, Canada have a great strategy at the moment. I think they're probably number one in the world around their uh, AI strategy, if they've got it right. Um, for the moment, in World One Point North, I think that America's on, is, 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 America has a big conversation with Silicon Valley at the moment. It's got to have a big conversation because uh, whilst these social media companies bring so much benefit right, to us being connected, it is clear that we're being manipulated. And it is clear that has to change. And so... You know, one of the things that I was re- writing about recently is if we had ethical control over our data for Facebook and we paid $1 a year or even $1 a month, but we, we had complete control, we knew exactly where it was going, which third parties were using it, which applications would be using it, you know, would you pay a dollar for the absolute transparency? And the answer is yes. Would Facebook still be, tra- still, still be successful? Of course it would. So, you know, I believe that the, 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 this harvesting of data from the, uh, the general population, and I'll debate anybody on stage about this, um, is that I think that time's over. And I think those countries that are modernizing their computing infrastructure with quantum computing and edge computing and all these kind of things, smart cities, will advance significantly beyond some of the old paradigms. You know, and uh, I, I'm, my hope is that the social media companies transform and become a, a beneficial ally in our future. But let me ask you a question. What value has the AI and social media done to tackle the inequity that we've experienced from COVID? Has it helped solve uh, some of the uh, genetics that we need to do for vaccines, if that's the right way to go? Has it helped with delivering food to people's home? How has it helped people to be in community and to pay their bills. Has that AI had any relevance to the global pandemic? Well, it's helped us to be connected, which is great and important, but I think they can go much further. And we, you know, we're starting to see the culture and bias behind the AIs that have been developed 
in these social media organizations and their relevancy to going forward with a human story. If so, to get that to happen, do you get Jack Ma? Do you get um, uh, Zuckerberg? Do you get these individuals to find purpose? Because I think they think they already found it. This is, I suspect that this will be uh, done by other uh, entrepreneurs that get it, other entrepreneurs that kind of have a vision for this ethical foundation that is not about come by our utopia, but it's about us thriving in a new paradigm in a way that we just can't imagine. So, so I, what's, what's, what's your timeline? What do you, is this a 10 year? Is this a 20 year? Is this a 40 year? If you were to, if you were to put a stake in the ground and say, we will have ethical searching with chips and capabilities and that we will find more purpose and we will see like a, like when you see the sci-fi movies where something hits and it just spreads all over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's yeah. the year? So World 2.0 will start in uh, uh, will start in the next uh, twelve to eighteen months. The conversation will will start to create momentum. Okay. So conversation. Then I. The innovation, uh, I, I can't declare too much around that, but I think we'll start to see within the next three to five years infrastructure that supports these kinds of ethical data paradigms. And then I think that as we're going out of this decade, we'll start to see uh, um, World 2.0 and, and the emergence of World 3.0 nations. When uh, it doesn't have to be on stage, we could sit at a table, but I've had sure. these conversations. And I often hear, well, this millennial generation or this new group or this new that. And I will often ask globally, because it's fairly well known, did you ever hear about the 60s and 70s in the United States as peace, love, rock and roll, save the planet, save the world? And yeah, yeah I'm assuming you did. Mm -hmm. Who did they become? Microsoft. They became the hedge fund managers. The, the, the mega mansion people, they are the people today who are doing all the things that, or in the past 10 years, 20 years, they're doing all the things that you and I, if you went back in time, would have thought were an impossibility. They were yeah. about saving the planet. They were loving creatures, hugging your friends and neighbors. Uh, sex was free. Bras were ripped off. I mean, all of that. And is that, that, that just didn't happen. What makes it that your paradigm will happen? Because we have no choice. <laughs> and let me explain why. I love uh, you, Natalie. I mean, Matthew. Uh, <laughs> because we have no choice. Um, what I'm proposing is how do we bring mindfully artificial intelligence as an ethical player on the global stage? And why do we need to do that? Simply. 7.5 billion people is not going to reduce. It's probably going to increase. It's going to go to 10 billion in the next 30 years. Right. So we need to put in place foundations, both at a regional, national, continent, and also global level, that are principles for us going forward. You see, the world is built on uh, kind of um, 
principles that really don't cater for balance and expansion. And we need to change that. You know, the, the UN try, right, with all their initiatives. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so what I think it, why I think it will work is for probably three or four reasons. One is, I think people are understanding that they're, 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 they're providing data crops that are being harvested by big business. And I would probably say a small group of people are becoming more aware. Okay, right. Well, um, how would you define small? Well, I, I get all these acceptance all the time. I want a software application, yes or no. I get all yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. Well, 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 well let's look at this. When people say yes or no, right, the reason why they, if you ask someone, whenever I do keynotes, I always say to people, you know, how many people think you've got control of your data? Very few. How many people want control of your data? Nearly everybody, right? So the reason why people don't want to disturb the big business, right? They own most of the ICT infrastructure at the moment, by the way. Yeah. The reason they don't is because there's no alternative and they don't want to rock the boat. So I think part of the conversation is sitting down with the leaders of the tech giants and say, look, guys, you're doing great. In, you really have got great purpose. You're connecting people together in social media. But let's discuss about how, what, what's your relevancy in the next five to 10 years? Right? What's your relevancy? And what is it? What's your legacy? Do you want to do you want the Wall Street Journal to write about you? He was wealthy. Or do you want to say the Wall Street Journal wrote about he sold inequity uh, in cities? You know, what do you want your legacy to be? What you, you have a such a uh, it's it's a hopeful, aspirational view. Yeah, it would be great, but I, I honestly believe many of these individuals have a completely different mind set, uh, harmonic resonance or whatever you want to call it, and they, they don't equate. Okay, you take, and again, I'm not trying to pick on a person, I'm using an example. Bezos made, I don't know how many billion dollars over the past eight months, and he gave $100 million to uh, COVID. His right. ex-wife was given X billion. Yeah. And before she could spend it, she made 2 billion more. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with making money. Though. No, no, but she's trying to get rid of it. She's trying to spend it. She couldn't do it fast <laughs> enough. Yeah, but the, the point is she had one, one construct. This money could serve purposes and value one way. He has another construct. And- well, I, I don't know if sitting down and having, I would, I'm thinking of blockchain. I'm thinking of the beginning of the crypto uh, wave that crashed. It's still there. There's a little blockchain wave, but the, it was all about freedom, transparency, collectiveness, connectiveness. And how many of the blockchain companies that I know are gone? And how many, and how many do I know that ripped off the people they were servicing. They got they got their money, they transferred it out, and then they laughed all the way to the bank, but they weren't really into loving their neighbor. Right, okay. So this, this is not about loving my neighbor. This is about giving your, activating or, or supporting, or uh, this is about giving, you know, basically giving ourselves and our neighbor a great experience. So why will, what, why do I think this will work? One is I think the global conversation is not going away. AI ethics is coming up for debate. I'm looking forward to having conversations and educating so-called professors and leaders in this field. Mm -hmm. the, the second thing is, is that 
the conversation about AI is not going away and therefore it needs to be brought in the public domain and it needs a positive spin. And not just a positive spin, but a positive roadmap into the future. We talked about how I can see particular realities and this is one reality I see and I'm serving that reality. The, the other thing that we do is uh, we, if every single computing chip, as I said, uh, had ethics in the middle of it, right? And there was become a standard, an ISO standard or an IEEE standard for all computing devices within say Europe, right? Then if you didn't have ethical, you wouldn't be able to build or deploy data systems of today on top of that ethical framework because you wouldn't be allowed to run. So if we change things at the com fundamental computing level, whether it's silicon or neomorphic or whether it's even ex uh, uh, quantum, which is still a long way out, really. Yeah, it's, um, it's further than we get a lot of news, but then news is far away. Yes, yeah, so a quantum actually is em emulated because you need to have four different realities running parallel for the qubits to work. Yeah, in. and we've only done so many small fractional pieces. We haven't done billions and billions and billions and billions. We're, we're not even close to the, the uh, quantum quantum the way we've defined it in sci-fi. Yeah. yeah, and we're making progress, which is important. You know, it's good for genetics mm -hmm. and advancement in that. So my point is this. If we change the computing level in the silicon with ethical standards from a nation where only ethical uh, computing equipment is deployed, therefore only ethical serv digital services and ethical AI can function or even run on those computing systems, well, then you've just changed the whole game. You've made a big report. And the question is, is this going to be done? I'm not going to reveal that, but I believe it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a company called Purism run by Todd, uh, Todd no, no. Weaver. No, there's a company called Purism run by Todd Weaver. And he has built laptops and servers with their own operating system from the ground up that actually your phone, your laptop, and your server running the same operating system. So it's ubiquitous across them. And his is about the chip had to be remanufactured from the ground up in order to be able to allow for privacy. So his entire business it's a purpose-driven business. His entire business is structured around that the, the laptop and the servers that you use can fundamentally not be hacked because they don't operate the same way. Right. And right. While, while we have a switch to turn off our microphone or there's a switch to turn off your, your um, what do you call it, uh, webcam, those are, those are going to be more normal. But his is fundamentally, you cannot hack it this way because there is no key to hacking it. Right. And right. so what you're saying is you need a groundswell of technologies that are impervious to the collection of, while at the same time capable of doing a sovereign personal identity infrastructure. Yeah, it uh, enables your personalized AI and ethical AI to exist within the national borders. It is a digital citizen test, absolutely. And, and, and so I think there's global forces. I think the, the, uh, this, this is why the work that I do is so important because it democratizes the narrative and gives people a clear roadmap on how to build the future where the, we tested the narrative with uh, people of different genders, people of different cultures, different social demographics uh, and different all sorts of ages in order for them to be able to grasp the narrative and to understand it. And every single person came away and says, I'm now excited about the future of AI because I understand how it needs to be built.
So what you're telling me, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is you're telling, you're not saying that you're going to help people realize their purpose. Don't say anything. What you're going to do is you're going to create the infrastructure around it by decoupling individuals from the system, but in an encoupling or recoupling them in a new way. And this new construct, which allows the personal AI, which allows your identity understanding, will give humankind the time, the capacity, the wherewithal to ask different questions about themselves and discover their purpose. Yes, that's but you're not you're not helping people see their purpose through the construct of teaching about purpose, like a guru from India or a guru from anywhere. I just thought of one in my head is you're doing it saying, if I change X, I will get Y. Therefore I'm focusing on X and it will be like, I was going to say the virus. Uh, You know, we, we now use virus as a bad term, but we used to say we want everything to be viral. Yes, we wanted it to be viral. That was a good thing, viral. But now right. it's a bad thing, viral. But you really are looking to create one of those type of amorphic flowing waves that start one point and they spread from country to country over mountains, tops and everything. And once you've become in this new, in new um, modality, mm-hmm. you then change as a human being and find purpose. That's right based on your choice. That's exactly right. It's a great summary, David. And if you and I, and paradigms change, if you and I walked into a gas station uh, 12 months ago with a mask, the police will be all over you. You you might, you know, now if you don't walk into a gas station without a mask, then, uh, then you're, you know, you're probably sent out. So paradigms change. I did a video about this uh, and I, in the beginning of COVID and I talked about how masks, I said, I've lived in Asia. They had 27 countries, 29 countries impacted by SARS. They wear masks for the purposes of protecting community. And I, I won't go into the whole video, but at one point I said, you've probably done this. You have been in an airport or someplace and saw an Asian wearing a mask and you went, ah, see that person. They're afraid of us. They don't want to, they don't want to get anything from us. And the reality is it was the exact opposite. They were wearing a mask because they felt sick and they didn't, they were being communally responsive to you. It was not view to them. That's right. That's a and, and we don't we don't think in that way. So you and that's what I was trying to say. This was back in March. I was saying you're wearing a mask for community. And while I lived in Hong Kong, which was hit the most from SARS, is that that's the one behavioral relic. We talked about the pandemics, but the one behavioral relic that it came from SARS, nothing else that I can see, there's no hand washing, nothing else, is that if you felt sick, you put on a mask. Right. If you, I was walking into a meeting, the CEO says to me, uh, do you need a mask? I probably coughed or did something, I don't know. And I said, sure. And I was uncomfortable, I was everything, but he was saying, you're not feeling well, you should put on a mask. And one of the things that I had always felt bad about is we are visitors in their country. Expats, expats are. And expats never wore masks. Really? They'd cough and sneeze and do and everything. And yet the, the society, the culture did. And I always felt really bad because I felt it was a disrespect to the individuals who lived through a horrific time. And it understood the consequences of poor behavioral uh, conditions. So, 
that's that's a that's a good story and, and and a beautiful story and also a sad story and goes to the point is you know if only we were able and taught to look at perspectives from a different angle we'd probably be less angry we'd probably be less frustrated and we'd probably be more compassionate in in paid to think the book that i wrote i don't you i don't have it I wrote the most difficult chapter in the book to write, and it's a tome. It's 297,000 words. The one chapter was the one on global awareness. I went all around the world asking CEOs of major companies, small companies, and asked them, how do you teach people to be globally aware? It was the most challenging and disheartening conversations. We'll have them travel. You know, people travel. They, they go around from one location to the next, the next, the next. They didn't learn anything. Well, have them work in a country. I know people who've worked in countries who can't say a word of the language, never associate with any of the locals or their, their different socioeconomic class. And it went on and on and on. And the construct that came out of it is there's four things. One of them is uh, biological nature. The next one is physical lands and landscapes and environments that you're in. Then it's governance and technology. And those are the four things that people have to experience to be able to understand a culture. And it's not an easy thing for people to make those jumps because the, we don't teach people to, we, the people don't also have the opportunity to meet with one another. I know we went off topic, uh, but we, but I tried to bring it back around the future of humanity depends on, we kind of touched on those. Uh, I've got five minutes. Yes, you had, did you, yeah, sure. <laughs> you had, I hope you had a great time. Uh, this is uh, this is the type of conversation about redefining tomorrow that I love. And I want to thank all of you out there who listened and took the time to, to follow this discovery with us. And I, and I do hope, I believe we both hope that you learn something today that will make a difference in your life and the lives of others. Remember that saying is that you can't fix yesterday, you can only create tomorrow. So is there one best way, Matthew, for people to get a hold of you? Yes, of course. They can, uh, they can visit me at matthewjamesbailey.com or aiethics.world, or they can write to me at matthew at matthewjamesbailey.com. Well, if you'd like to reach out to me, you can reach me at david at davidgoldsmith.com. There's Instagram at Mr. David Goldsmith. I didn't make that name up. Someone did it for me. Uh, you can connect with me on Twitter at, uh, at Goldsmith. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook. There's many ways to get a hold of uh, me. I, again, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And with that said, I'm David Goldsmith, and thank you for listening.